This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff Simpson and Terry South. The gang is here Doing what we can on this program to give you the latest, greatest uh, information, but also a leg up in life. Hopefully l- take you one step closer to the life you want to live. Welcome to the program. And uh, boy, oh boy, I think today we will, I think we got to start with, a, well, at least we'll get to a rebuke from uh, a military leader at the Air Force Academy telling everybody to pick up your game for crying out loud. Yes. He's really telling his people. Well, the 4,000 students, Yeah, some but, of the problems they've had. But we think the lesson could apply to everyone. It's interesting. How do you react to rebuking? I love a good rebuke. Really? It's refreshing yeah. at times. Yeah. I think you have one daily from your wife, don't you? Uh, yeah, twice daily. Wow. Well, I mean, that's kind of the, the role, right? Yeah. She's helping me, she's helping me improve myself. Boy, last night I probably I would have got a rebuking, but I fell asleep. Oh, that's the best! Mm. It's that Thursday night total exhaustion. That's what I did. And I went in to just all I was going to do was sit down on my bed for a minute. Just sit down on my bed. It was about eight o'clock at night. Just gonna just gonna sit for a second. I'm gonna have another situation like that this afternoon. Are Ooh, you? Sounds twenty delightful. minutes, just twenty minutes, lay down, and like three hours later, like, Whoa, what, what did happened? I just do? <laughs> See, that happens to me like twice a year, and I always feel like I have to apologize the next no, day. No, I feel, I feel oh, yeah. dirty. I feel dirty now <laughs> because I fell asleep. From, I mean, but I don't know. I don't even know what they were doing. I just fell asleep. I feel bad. What do you do? I don't even. She's not even awake, so I can't even tell her now. I'm sorry that my body overtook my mind. I just I, – I left everyone. My, I'm pretty sure I was supposed to put a bed together yesterday. But you, I, I didn't – I fell asleep. You look like you're winding up to throw a baseball at me. Yeah, I found this baseball in my office and, um, you know, I was just thinking I'd throw it around here a bit. Okay. So I guess we better watch what we say yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you when I'll throw it. Okay. I was – I think I'm going to – Learn how to throw a knuckleball. You know, if you uh, crack that open with a knife and unravel it, yeah. you will find a nice hard rubber ball at the center. Why? Why would we do that? Well, it would probably hurt more. I could actually just, throw it. I could probably just YouTube it. What happens when you cut open a baseball? And just go watch it. And then someone will probably put it in a blender. And yeah. then someone will shoot it with fire. Will it blend? Will it burn? And then they'll will drop it, it in molten silver. Have you then, ever seen the metal? Yeah, they yeah, melt the metal and drop stuff in it. Some guy will eat it. Yeah, yeah. Don't you know the will it blend guy? Uh, I know the company. Okay. Uh, some of the leaders. But, you know, a lot of things don't blend anymore. This is true. My blender won't even blend. Mm. I'd love to put my blender in a will it blend commercial. We had a Will It Blend product. I won't name the product. Got to the point where it wouldn't even make a shake for me. Really? I was having to stick wooden spoons down into it. It's all that and then tail. The wooden spoon would get no. caught, and so our shakes would have wood shavings in them. <laughs> fiber, delicious. Don't you hate it when your your shake can catch on fire? <laughs> that drives me crazy. 
Anyway, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country? The White House is now investigating top officials' use of private email accounts and has begun to pull batches of emails on White House server to uh, to and from private accounts from senior aides, according to Politico. The White House Counsel's Office is reportedly reviewing the messages in order to find out whether they are relevant to the various investigations of Russian election meddling. Earlier this week, it was revealed that top officials, including Jared Kushner, were using private email accounts as part of their White House work. I was reading this morning that the uh, Senate committees that Jared Kushner has gone to talk to about a lot of these uh, Russian investigations, all that kind of stuff, they'd like to see the private email server he's using because he didn't mention that part of his day-to-day work. Well, I mean, honestly, is is having a private server that big of a deal? It was. It was for Hillary Rodham Clinton. So they're like, we'd like you to come back. And apparently and- he didn't come clean with all this information, so they're they're saying... What else are you writing? And you're under oath and stuff, right, with these yeah. committees. So you got to tell us what we're asking. you got to answer the it's question. It's been multiple times. More things have come out after he's testified. And he's like, oh, yeah, right. Don't make me tell your father-in-law. Hey, don't you have a private server named uh, Jeeves at yeah, your Jeeves. house? Oh, what a great guy. Great yeah. guy. Yeah. Wears gloves. It's not secret either. It's just no. it's out there. He, he doesn't even wear know. like those cotton gloves. They're just he always wears rubber gloves. When he yeah, well, you know, gotta keep weird. safe. The U.S. Uh, Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price pledged Thursday that he will no longer charter private flights while in the cabinet. Oh, nice! And he will reimburse taxpayers for the flights he took using public funds. Price has been criticized for his use of private planes for both business and personal travel, a taxpayer expense. President Trump said Wednesday that he was not happy about Price's trips and declined to rule out whether he would fire the secretary. Now, if you remember when President Trump spoke to the Boy Scouts, he said if Price didn't get the health care through, maybe we'll fire him. He just sort of joked about that. (laughs) So he's going to pay 52 grand, right? So CNN reported that Price will write a personal check for 51 $1,887.31, equivalent of commercial business class seats. Price's private plane use, however, reportedly cost taxpayers more than $400,000. So So he'll pay Mm. back roughly 13% of the total cost of... Well, no, no, but what I'm going to pay, I'm not not paying back that. I'm paying back what I would have paid (laughs) if I had just flown commercial. Do you think that's enough to save his job? I don't know. Cause it makes me think of Pete Rose, who gambled on, on the game, yeah. and he tried to give the money back, and they said, nope, nope, nope too late. you're you never going to be in the Hall of Fame ever. Did Was, was Pete Rose able to get the health care bill through? No. Okay. He does, Just checking. He, he does set up across the street from the Hall of Fame with yeah. a table so you can sign autographs for 30 bucks a pop. So Not a bad idea. He's out there working. He's so, still a commentator you know, yeah, on the postseason. He's but, doing fine. Uh, and, and the news that Matt talked about earlier here, Lieutenant General Jay Silvera, the superintendent of the Air Force Academy yesterday, stood all of his 4,000 cadets at attention to deliver a message on racial slurs found written on message boards at the Academy's preparatory school. Wow. Right, so it's part of the school, not necessarily the actual academy. It's, it's a, like the pre-academy. But it's all part of the group, yeah. and he had everyone there. The Colorado Springs Gazette reports, he talked about not ignoring the events that are ongoing in our country. Uh, he talked about Charlottesville. He talked about the NFL. Play clip one. But I also have a better idea, and it's about our diversity. And it's the power of the diversity, the power of the 4,000 of you and all of the people that are on the staff tower and lining the glass, the power of us as a diverse group, the power that we come from all walks of life, that we come from all parts of this country, that we come from all races, we come from all backgrounds, gender, all makeup, 
all upbringing, the power of that diversity comes together and makes us that much more powerful. That's a much better idea than small thinking and horrible ideas. 20 uses of power. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. He's I mean, got the power. And, and what a, wow. I mean, like, and yeah. then he finished it up, play club two. So just in case you're unclear on where I stand on this topic, I want to leave you with my most important thought today. If you can't treat someone with dignity and respect, then you need to get out. If you can't teach someone from another gender, whether that's a man or a woman, with dignity and respect, then you need to get out. If you demean someone in any way, then you need to get out. And if you can't treat someone from another race or a different color skin with dignity and respect, then you need to get out. Ooh, that's there you cool. Go. And then he yeah, had, and he's saying like, get out of the, get out of the military, get out of this program, get right. out of here. Then he told the four thousand cadets, pull out your cell phones, because you need to record this. In case I want you to all remember this, and I don't want you to forget this at all. <laughs> so use so your he waited. <laughs> he waited, and he goes, no, seriously, pull out your phones. And some of them did, some had them, some didn't. So people are pulling out their phones. The camera looks back, and you see people pulling out their phones. And then he says, if you can't treat people or treat someone with dignity, dignity and respect, then get out. And then he just walked away. He just like turned and walked off the stage. Did he drop the mic room. too? Basically, and he's That's just like, great. "Get out! We don't need you here." Now, someone went on the message board, and it says here uh, on Tuesday, and they uh, they release it. it says five black students woke up on Tuesday to find "Go home" followed by racial epithets uh, oh, scrawled wow. on message boards outside their room. They have like whiteboards outside the room. That was after the speech? So this wasn't like an internet. No, this was, this was, this this was, was like the cause, cause the, the oh. speech. So, it, th- I mean, Good. this was just written on the wall outside yeah. their room. And he's That's like, awesome. what are we doing? Really? Go home. Get mm-hmm. out of here. That's you, cool. Yeah. Have you ever wondered why racial slurs are never slurred? <clears throat> well, because you, no, you couldn't really. understand them. Yeah. I, I wish they were more slurred. Because <laughs> then, then it, you wouldn't know you were been slurred. Yeah, that is powerful. Townsend. <laughs> But it's like everyone's awesome. kind of tiptoeing around yeah. these issues, and he's just like, no, there's right, there's Be wrong. Decent. Go home. Be decent. Treat people with respect or get out. Isn't that amazing? But again, you can hear it. On the, I, I would love to see the message board on this story because there would be people fighting against that. How do you fight against the message that if you can't treat people with respect, get out? Yeah. Well, it's easy for you to say you're a government employee. <laughs> they're they're going to they're gonna throw something at him. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's an interesting way. He called in all the staff. He goes, they didn't have enough room for everybody in the building. So ringing in the building was staff, coaching staff, support staff, everyone that works at the academy. That's awesome. And he's like, the strength of what we have here is diversity. If you can't deal with that, there's the door. They need to find the people that wrote that on those boards. Do yeah. everything you can to find those people. So is this too different from what President Trump recently did, where he said, if those football players don't want to stand for the national anthem, then they can get out, essentially? Yeah, it's different. You think it's different? I mean, I, I think— Because one, one involves unity as a people, one involves unity as a country. Well, right, but, but two, there's, that's a diverse idea, right? They're having a diverse idea, and their idea is that 
it's not – this country isn't equal. It's not equally – you're not equally arrested if you're an African-American guy in an inner city with certain police departments. You're not going to be arrested at the same rate as the white people in that same community. So it's not equal. But they have the right to say it, right? And how do we handle it? Right. And he does have a lot of the, – the, the guy from the Air Force Academy has a lot of leeway because he's, it's a military situation. He has a lot the, of – He's yeah. the head of the chart, right? Whereas Trump's trying to curtail people's freedom of peaceful protest. Well, exactly. Wrong. Right. And, and you – part of it is – and that you can do it just by force. Mm-hmm. He Like this, this, this leader is trying to get everybody enrolled together to fight this yeah. where Trump was – it seemed like – Basically threatening people well, of their livelihoods. Tr- tr- Trump was trying to rev up his base supporters. That's really yeah. what that was. <laughs> I think it's but, beyond but that. Too, he's just trying to get yeah. his people happy. That's but Trump too has do. used the get out model. He has, sure. Or, or stay he's out because we're going to build a wall. He's yeah. trying to portray <laughs> toughness. Yeah. Well, and by the way, it's confusing. It's confusing. Apparently, it, it might be working in North Korea because the North Koreans don't they, – apparently, they don't know what to do with Trump. No. So now they're contacting ex-U.S. officials, and I think the conversation is something like, what? what's the deal with this guy? This guy's crazy. <laughs> what's his problem? Well, as we He's talked crazy. about yesterday, you have the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense saying different things than the president. Yeah. The president will say something. Whoa. The, other, the, the defense and, and uh, state come back, and they're like, yeah, you know, don't worry about that. Yeah, the president said that's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. And they're so they're confused. Do we listen to the president? Do we just ignore but him? Is it, I, you know, like Kim Jong Un is? He's like he's offended. He's calling me names. <laughs> he's calling me names. <laughs> your president. Your other your other presidents were so nice. Yeah. Well, I, President I, Bush never called me Rocket Man uh, the, <laughs> or my dad. The the bigger the bigger thing is there are groups of from the U.S. and groups from North Korea who are trying to have a discussion behind. They're the trying scenes. to save us from a major and problem. North Korea that North Korea doesn't know where to even begin the discussion because they don't know who to talk to. Who's making policy? Yeah. Who's in charge? You know? Did they get an answer? No, of course not. Okay. Well, that's the other thing is nobody wants to work with them. Yeah, because I mean the. If you're a, a consultant in Washington D.C. and you're the one that's known to be working with North Korea, people won't talk to you. Yeah, nobody. What well, we that's even bad had, for we, did you hear? We had a professor on. I think it was yesterday. Was it yesterday? They couldn't. He couldn't. I guess apparently somebody from North Korea had contact. Or you maybe mentioned it. Yeah, somebody yeah. Had, from North Korea had contacted a professor for something, and they all they, they all are very clear, yes. like, I don't want anything to do with you. No. Stay away from me. It's such a, I mean, a minefield, yeah. really. I mean, it's, it's such a problem. It's more like them. a rocket. More a rocket uh, launch, launch facility or yeah, something. Destruction. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the parallel is. It's crazy. Okay, well, um, wow. What do you say? What do you do? Yeah. Tonight's BYU's game. Isn't yeah. it tonight? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how oh, does... you, you seem You seem sad. Underwhelmed? Why? Really? Well, who's going to play quarterback? Does it matter? Yeah. Good point. Because hmm. I watched the guy last week. Wasn't so good. No, but he's had a week Or two weeks ago. Bo, Bo right, Hodge. That's, that's going to fix he's it. He's ready. He's ready. Sure. He's totally ready. And they're he's playing as, Utah State. He's as ready as he possibly can be. Yeah. I mean, for this, yeah, mm. for this time. Whatever level of preparation that may be. Maybe, you know, maybe Tanner Mangum's going to just step up. Just scoot on in? 
<laughs> Step up or See, this, limp up? This discussion that somehow the quarterback from BYU was on a scooter two weeks ago. Yeah. And now he's not on a well, scooter. Well, his mom updated yesterday yes. that he's he's no longer on it, but he misses it. Breaking news, by the way. Yeah. That, I don't that think anyone else covered depth. that. In-depth news there. Now, the question is, he doesn't have to give up the scooter. No. Like, if you ever broke your foot, you have crutches in the basement. Can, yeah. he, can he still throw the football with the scooter on the field? Yeah, you can. It's just, no. it's really hard to back up. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think this game is as crucial as Spencer and Jerem are making yes. it sound? I think so. You think so? Because I think the next two games are really hard. <laughs> this will be the next so chance of the win. if they don't win, win for... this one, then... Yeah. Like for, if they want to win in the next They'll month. do it. They'll do it. I have no doubt. Okay, great. I mean, we're, I have a little something. doubt. <laughs> you have no doubt. Wow. I have a little doubt. Is it possible, though, like that, that's really a good point that you brought up. If if you hurt your leg hmm. and you had one of those really cool scooters, yeah. not like the electric one, not the no, jazzy. The, no. The, yeah. Because if you had a jazzy, I don't know why you'd ever walk again. Right. Sure. It's like the, Who the height want of that? luxury. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you had the one that you had to kind of push. Yeah, it's like a tyke bike for adults. But let's say your leg is huh. fine. Now your leg is fine. Is it wrong to still use the scooter thing? I, I would scoot. I would scoot too. Because you'd fly all over campus. Oh, absolutely. And plus everybody would think, you know, they have to get out of your way. Cause, oh, yeah. Oh, he must be injured. You get kind of the sympathy looks mm-hmm. from all the, all, the, all the girls, except he's married. So, so Is Tanner Mangum married? I, I thought he was, wasn't he? I don't know. Some people, some people would milk mind. this for all it's worth. For yeah. instance, Chris Pratt on the show Parks and Rec, he's in a cast in the first season or two. And his girlfriend dumps him after she finds out that he could have had his cast removed weeks ago. And she, she confronts him about it and he says, well, I just liked it when you did all those nice things for me. Oh, wow. And she dumped him. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't. I mean, you can milk it for a little bit. So for all we know, he could have been better a month ago. You can milk it for a weekend, right? You can get through a weekend. Sure. A little with, you know, I'm still a little sick. (coughs) I better not go to church. I'm a little sick today. I can't get away with stuff like that, though. I can't say, oh, I'm sick. I can't get out of bed. Yeah. My wife has put up with so much more when she was sick. I know. She was puking from being pregnant. You're not your wife. No, I'm definitely not. I mean, none of us are. No. They're amazing. We love you. Uh, if my wife, I don't think she's awake yet. Um, our wives. A note to our wives. Thank you for putting up with our fake illnesses, <laughs> our, our need to ride our little scooter around, even when we don't have an injury. Thanks for feeding us. Or helping us believe that a lot of your ideas were really our ideas. Thank you. We love you. A thought brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show on how to love your wife appropriately. Up next, we're going to be talking about why it's impossible, probably impossible, to restore online privacy. Has your privacy online, is it gone? Have we already blown that one up? Up next, we'll be talking about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.
There was a, a little controversy in the media recently about a free genealogy site that lets users search for someone by name. And then the site provides the year the individual was born, possible relatives and associates, and the person's address and their past and present uh, and information about their past and their present. And uh, this raised a lot of concern for people regarding online privacy. Is it that simple that you can just go to a genealogy site and gather all the information about somebody you'd want? That seems a little excessive, right? A little scary. So it uh, it actually created um, a stir, and we wanted to bring on an expert who could help us understand it a little bit better. Randy Dreyer is the Presidential Honors Professor in the Honors College at the University of Utah and a professor of law and a lecturer at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. And uh, we we wanted to, to pick his brain. Randy, thank you for being with us today. Uh, happy to join you. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. This is this – is, it's kind of a scary thought. Is – is is it really that simple that you enter your name somebody's name on a free site and I can get that much information out of it? Well, of course it depends on the particular site that's involved, but the reality uh is that uh, there's a multi-billion dollar industry of what are called data brokers who collect uh copious amounts of information uh about uh, individuals. Uh, Axiom is a one of the largest uh, brokers, and they have close to 200 million wow. profiles of families of information about families in the United States that they have gathered, many from public sources, uh, uh, but also from information that we voluntarily uh, provide by joining social media networks and uh, uh, other other such things. How is how? I mean, because I guess this means now. Because as they gather data, and data has become the new it's it's the new gold, right? It's the new it's the money maker is the data. It's not even having the client like we used to think it was about aggregating a client, but a lot of these companies care more about the client's data because they can sell that. Well, that's absolutely correct. Um, uh, data is uh, the new oil or the new gold. It's. Uh, uh, it's become a very valuable commodity because uh, uh, with information comes the ability to send targeted ads that are directly related to a person's uh, interests. Uh, and so uh, marketing just becomes much more effective when you have an ad that is targeted to a, a specific individual's likes or dislikes or what have you. Um, political campaigns are using information to identify uh, not just whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a conservative or a liberal, but uh, whether or not you, uh, based on your viewing habits, your uh, purchases uh, and other activities, whether you would be receptive to their particular uh, fundraising drive or appeal. So information about individuals uh, uh, is uh, a very powerful a bit of information that businesses uh, and uh, NGOs and others can can use for uh, their own purposes. One thing I didn't quite understand is they they don't just collect the data like when you enter it in on a website. They're collecting data just like I did not know that Facebook is collecting data on what you're using and and what's you know websites you're visiting. If you if you don't close out of Facebook and you leave the Facebook app open, they're still gathering data. 
that's correct. Uh, so, uh, you know, most people know now that if you do a Google search, that Google is uh, recording uh, what site you visited, how long you were there, uh, whether you clicked on it, uh, uh, whether you purchased anything from that site. But what a lot of people don't know is that some apps, and Facebook's the most uh, obvious one, is that unless you actually log out of the app, it is still running in the background, and it is still tracking you as you uh, move around to various uh, sites. Wow. Uh, most uh, most uh, social media networks install what are called cookies on your uh, computer, uh, and then even though you um, move to another site, uh, unless you've logged out, um, uh, then they're going to continue to uh, monitor your uh, tracking, gather that information. They then can either use the information themselves or they can sell it to uh, uh, data brokers who then aggregate it, compile a, basically a little profile on you, and um, and then use that information uh, to sell to other pr- people who want to market uh, uh, directly to you. Yes. Again, we're speaking with Randy Dreyer, who is a uh, lecturer at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. He's a nationally recognized expert in media law. Um, and I guess, Randy, is are there, are there laws, strong laws, or any laws, really, that are out there protecting our privacy from these companies online? Well, the answer is yes to a limited extent. Uh, Certain uh, categories of one's personal information are protected by uh, statute. The one that most people are probably familiar with is uh, HIPAA, Um, the federal law that protects your personal medical information. And without you giving express permission, Others cannot release your medical uh, information. So, but that's a that's a narrow, limited area. Uh, we have the Childhood Online Privacy Protection Act, which uh, basically protects uh, information uh, when social media sites gather information from children who are uh, under 13 years of age. Uh, that's one reason why in uh, Facebook's terms of service. Uh, when you sign up an account, you check a box that represents that you are at least 13 years of age. Uh, that's so that Facebook does not have to comply with that Childhood Online Privacy uh, Act, because that act requires express permission from a parent before you can start begin uh, to uh, collect information about children. So, but other than that, there and there are a few other assorted uh, uh, privacy laws that have been passed. Uh, several states are much more protective of persons' privacy. California, for example, uh, protects uh, personally identifiable information. So, your social security number, your driver's license number, uh, in some states, uh, a home address is private information. But there is no. Uh, federally, uh, universally applicable law that protects online privacy uh, information. Contrast that with uh, Europe, which uh, is much more protective of uh, personal privacy. That's in an yeah. online forum. Well, why is that? I mean, it's is it we just haven't made a big enough fuss about it? Is it? Um, Do we see better benefits to not having any laws on this? It seems like we're underprotected. 
Well, you know, uh, uh, it's not that we're not protected. It's that the protection is much different here than uh, in uh, Europe. The European Union views data, personal data, essentially as a commodity that the person who's uh, essentially owns your own personal data, and you can choose to sell it or uh, keep it uh, or use it in whatever manner that you deem appropriate. And so in Europe, uh, a what's called a data controller, someone who collects personal information and uses it, um, about individuals, they must have your express written consent. Hmm. Contrast that with the United States, where we have a much more sort of uh, laissez-faire, sort of free market economy, um, and uh, uh, we don't require express written consent. Uh, express consent. What we do require, though, is that in those privacy policies or terms yeah. of use, yeah. that everyone. Uh, you know, clicks through you really quickly. Account, you yeah. click here to agree. Yeah. Of course, no one ever reads them, right? Right. I mean, I have to admit, even I don't uh, read them. And you're them. a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. So, but, uh, you know, you click on that, and in that, buried in all that legalese, you, you will have contractually agreed that uh, the Facebook or Google or whatever the online site is that you're um, – uh, on, uh, you're, you've given your consent for them to uh, install cookies on your computer, to collect information, and to use it for, um, some are restrictive, some we use it only for our own purposes, like Facebook. Facebook doesn't really sell your personal information, but what they will, will do is allow a person who wants to target a specific segment, they will then take that information, and because they've analyze their entire user base, which is now just recently uh, hit $2 billion. Pretty wow. amazing when you think about it. Uh, Facebook were a country. It'd be the world's largest country. Facebook, China, India, mm. United States. So, uh, But a lot of uh, brokers will uh, collect your information, and they either buy it from people who've otherwise collected it, uh, or um, uh, they've gotten it from public records, and uh, somewhere uh, you have given permission for the information about you to be collected. Boy, and that just simply – that could just be something you clicked off on uh, 10 years ago when you first signed on or eight years ago when you first signed on. Um, and one of the things I guess I want to talk about when we come back, Randy, is this idea of um, – that, that no matter what, your information isn't erased necessarily because there's there's caches that have have you know taken a snapshot of it or people have downloaded it. So even if this information you think is no longer there, it's still there. So you know there are now services out there trying to to help people eliminate their the bad information to get certain information off of the internet. We'll be talking about that with. Uh, Professor Randy Dreyer from the University of Utah Law School. Crazy, crazy stuff, folks. Uh, You know, not an easy time to be alive if you want privacy. So we will continue this journey, helping us all try to figure out what to do uh, to be safer online. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about why it's likely impossible to restore online privacy. And uh, it's an article that came out in the Deseret News, and featured in the article is our guest, Randy Dreyer. Randy is a a presidential honors professor in the Honors College at the University of Utah, also a professor of law, lecturer at the S.J. Quinney College of Law. Uh, He's he's also been involved in a lot of um, media cases and media law cases, having represented virtually every major news organization from 60 Minutes to CNN to Red Book Magazine, New York Times, the Associated Press. And today we're picking Randy's brain to figure out if if we're doomed as far as our privacy is concerned. Randy, does it – does it worry you as a lawyer that – and just as an expert in the field that that we're not taking it serious enough when we go online? Well, uh, yes, it does. Uh, uh, people are too uh, willing to trade off their privacy for either convenience or some uh, minor financial uh, benefit, and they don't uh, fully understand that these little – incremental infringements on privacy, when they're all aggregated together and looked at in kind of a whole, are, uh, you know, really significant. I mean, here's just a a simple example. Uh, Almost everyone will have a frequent shopper, frequent buyer card, whether that's at Smith's or whatever. And so every time you use that card, uh, you uh, are telling that supermarket. Uh, They're recording what you buy. And I don't really care that someone knows that I'm buying Cheerios over uh, shredded wheat, but, um, you know, I get my prescriptions filled uh, there. True. And uh, I buy lots of things. I buy books that I read. um, And uh, so that's a lot of information that I'm sort of giving up. And why do I do it? Well, because I get uh, frequent flyer or frequent uh, bonus points that I get discounts on gas. Um, and you know, it's so true. You just told everybody about, you just gave all this data about what your medical conditions are so you can get 10 cents off on gas. Yeah. Well, the, you know, that there are some limitations about what Smith can, uh, how they can use that information, particularly the, the medical information. And That's, connected to your name, they may not, but they still have information on you. That's correct. That's correct. And one of the, that raises the issue about uh, how secure is that information that they have. Even if they're not using it, if it's not uh, uh, encrypted or otherwise sufficiently protected, there's the risk of data breaches. Hmm. And, of course, uh, it seems like every week there's a new uh, data breach where personally identifiable information of individuals uh, have been uh, hacked into. And once it's out on the Internet, there's a huge black market for buying social security numbers, for buying uh, email addresses, for mm. buying home addresses. Uh, and then you're subject to um, the possibility of identity theft, where someone poses as you online, takes out a loan in your name, uh, or um, uh, basically uh, poses as you uh, and that can cause all sorts of uh, havoc in your personal life. Oh, yeah. In fact, we've now heard that uh, maybe Sonic drive through a restaurant chain, yeah. may have had a breach. And then there was the Target story um, about 
you know, Target uh, basically is watching what people are searching on their sites. And then they sent a coupon, apparently a teenager who was um, uh, searching for baby stuff, um, ended up getting a coupon for diapers, which tipped off her parents that she was pregnant before she was even she even knew or even told her parents. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, The this this. teenager was living at home with her parents, and uh, she started getting addressed to her at the parents' home these advertisements for uh, baby products and cribs and things of that nature. And the father was just uh, incensed, Uh, ended up going all the way up to the the, uh, um, the CEO of Target complaining about, why are you sending this information to my daughter, Uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it turns out that an algorithm based upon what she was buying, certain creams and things of that nature, are a good indicator indicator that someone is uh, pregnant. Wow. So then they started marketing things that uh, uh, an expectant woman would would want, diapers and cribs and things of that nature. And uh, it it got a quite a bit of uh, publicity in the mainstream press because the father, uh, you know, Target knew that his daughter was pregnant before he did. How offensive and is that? Pretty pretty embarrassing. Well, and I, <laughs> well, I guess that's, that's it, huh? I mean, but they also, they, they, they kind of, their algorithms implied it and inferred it and were accurate, but then that, that name was still attached to an, an address that maybe the daughter didn't even give, maybe. I don't know, but somehow the address was connected to that computer. Yeah, so one of, one of the, the potential dangers of uh, freely giving your information out is that uh, uh, these data aggregators and data brokers can take disparate pieces of information and connect the dots, if you will, hmm. and uh, identify you, even if you have not given your personally identifiable information. Uh, algorithms are so powerful that they can um, uh, find inferences that are not readily apparent, but based on huge data sets uh, are fairly uh, accurate. And, uh, you know, Facebook. Uh, someone, uh, a professor, I can't remember or recall where now, but about a couple of years ago, uh, uh, said that a person uh, that uh, analyzing Facebook information could identify the sexuality of an individual, in other words, whether they were gay or not, uh, with uh, oh, wow. by looking at their Facebook, even if there was no overt reference to the to, fact to that sex, yeah. was gay or whatever. Yeah. Wow. Oh, and you and you can see it. You can believe it. Um, there, there is some movement, I guess, going on in Europe about the idea of um, that that there is a right to forget. That that yeah. there are some things that we ought to be able to move on from. If we made a mistake in the past and it made it in the newspapers, uh, do we have anything like that in the United States? Uh, nothing uh, on the scale that they have in Europe, and uh, nothing on a federal level. Uh, uh, California has um, uh, enacted what's euphemistically called the eraser law, Hmm. and it allows a person who's 18 years of age uh, that if they've posted something on the Internet uh, that 
uh, they you know later regret. Uh, uh, they post something that seemed funny at the time when they were 16 or whatever, and then uh, five years, ten years later, they're trying to get a job, and it because of search that image comes up. Uh, California uh, allows someone who's posted information. Uh, uh, while they're still a uh, minor, that they can request that information to be removed from that site. Hmm. So that's, but that's the efficacy of that is really questionable. Uh, whether it really does restore that person's privacy, because by the time that information gets taken down, it's already been uh, reposted on some other site. Um, yeah, and somebody's been, copied it, downloaded it. Yeah, so it, it's you know the 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 problem that people don't the real danger that people don't realize is that once information is on the web, once it is in a digital form, uh, it is so easy to uh, disseminate that information um, almost instantaneously worldwide, and moreover, it's virtually impossible to sort of delete. Mm. Um, it, because it has, um, it's cached, it's downloaded, it's on multiple servers. Uh, and so it's just virtually impossible, even when you can get one site to take something down, um, it's virtually impossible to really truly have it uh, deleted. Yeah, the bell has rung, right? You're not, yes. you're not getting exactly. that back. Can't put the toothpaste back in the tube <laughs> or, you know, whatever, the, the cow back in the barn or whatever That's right. you want to use. But it's it's true. Rand- there's, a, there's a cliche, Google never forgets, and that is that's more that's true, so than, true than false. <laughs> Randy, how has this changed your life and your online uh, world, being a, an expert in this and also – um, you know, knowing even the media companies and knowing how important information is not just to media companies but to the tech companies, has it altered how you go about being online? Well, yes. Yeah, so I, I used to um, uh, answer online surveys. I do not do that any longer. Hmm. Um, uh, if you're offered a you know a chance, fill out this five per, uh, question survey, uh, and you get a chance to win a free iPad. Well. Um, first of all, the chances of you winning are very low, uh, but you're going to give up a lot of information, and my advice is just don't do it. Don't do it. So I'm much more careful about what information I uh, I, I provide to people. Um, I, you know, you go to a, a store, and a store will ask for your uh, zip code. Um, uh, and, of course, they want to collect that information so they can do some demographics on who's shopping and how far away are people coming and where should they market their advertising. You are not required to give your zip code. So I, would, I just wouldn't do it. Hmm. I'd just be very careful about giving personally identifiable information, and that's your home address, that's your obviously your Social Security number, uh, but uh, it's also um, – uh, uh, other information that can be linked uh, to you, like your zip code and things uh, of that nature. Because they will use that to go to other databases that they can rent or borrow or already own and, and, and I guess, fulfill, fill out the rest of your, your information. Sure. Some people, and I, I, uh, I haven't really uh, done this, but I know some people who are even more concerned about this, they will uh, uh, have what's called a disposable email, and there are sites where you can just get a, a one-time email, and they use that to open up uh, various accounts, hmm. online accounts that they're buying things, so that 
uh, you're not going to get flooded with uh, spam on your regular email account that you use, your regular email address, and, um, uh, and then people use a a fictitious name when they're opening up an account. Uh, again, just ways to um, sort of make it more difficult for your information to be aggregated and linked to you. But in reality, if you use a credit card uh, to, to make purchases, if you drive a car, if you uh, shop and uh, and pay in uh, other than using cash, it's virtually impossible to avoid information about you from being collected. Oh, scary stuff, though. Randy, thank you so much. Randy Dreyer is his name. Again, the Presidential Honors Professor in the Honors College at the University of Utah and a professor of law at the S.J. Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah. Got to be careful, folks. And uh, it is the new world, but it doesn't mean it has to be completely you know, free of some privacy for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Mm, yeah, baby. Working it. <laughs> Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Um, you know, it's one thing about privacy. I, I really don't think a lot of people care anymore. Really? I mean... Seriously, we we because we give out just little pieces of information. Yeah, like he was just making a really big point about don't give out your zip code, and forever the zip code was like the least dangerous information you had about yourself. Oh yeah, because like zip code, okay, what you've cornered me into this geographic location, but you don't know my address. Do you think people care? Uh, they don't care anymore because they've just accepted the fact that it's going to be out there anyway. Yeah, or there's I, nothing I, they can do, do about you think it. Maybe, or is it more they're we're just ignorant to knowing how it's all working? So, for example, a store can pick up one time they'll pick up your zip code, the next time they'll get your your address, or the next time a phone number, or once they have your zip code and your name, they can go find the address in that zip code on another data point, data list. Yeah. So I just think that we're not as clued into it. But what bugs me even more than my privacy is because if I go shop for a bed a week ago, I'm going to see bed ads for the next year. Yeah. Like, don't you think we need to have some data point where I could just go to Google and say, hey, I bought the bed. Quit advertising (laughs) beds to me. I'm sick of it. Yeah. Almost like there could, if there could be an opt out option for those ads, you know, like there is for yeah, junk mail. Totally, yeah, Ooh, that would be good. But but then there's some convenience to it when you really are looking for something. Like on Amazon, like the minute I show up, they know what I want. Except they never got the closure that I already bought it. Right. So we need to somehow <laughs> close the loop, and maybe that just means being having even less privacy. It's also a good reminder that you really ought to be careful what you're searching for because oh. it could come yeah. back to bite you in the form of an ad. That's you know, <laughs> honey, are you looking to buy some stray dog from Mongolia? <laughs> no. Where did you get that weird idea? That is scary. And now there are people that will literally hijack your life by finding out data that's negative about you and then making you pay them to get rid of it. Yeah. But they'll never get rid of the data. They never get rid of the data. See, this is why I would never want to be a politician. Not no. that I have anything to hide, but there are people out there whose job it is to just dig up as much dirt on dig, you as dig, they dig, possibly dig, dig. can. I know. They're Russians. They're always <laughs> Russians. 
All right, folks, uh, we'll continue this journey, helping you to make a safer life for yourself and your family. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know what? Uh, I guess better news. Better news. Well, not really. For Puerto Rico. I was going to say better news. It's been nine days since Puerto Rico was hit. And yet still a lot of problems and a lot of stuff going on. Um, And really, it's now actually starting to – the mayor of San Juan is responding uh, to Trump administration um, because they're – Trump administration is saying, oh, you know, we're getting there. It's getting there. And the mayor of San Juan is like, not happening. This is – Why aren't you here now? Yeah. This is not a good news story. The, The White House was saying this is a good news story. Mm-hmm. Because I guess there, there's a lot of positive stories of unity and whatever coming out of Puerto Rico, but it's not a good news story nine days later when you know ninety percent of the people don't have electricity, fifty percent don't have any water, the food and the ships are all waiting offshore to be offloaded. There's no trucks running. So I what's mean, the thinking behind the the uh, delay in response? Well, some of it was just I think you know. Organizational. Are we going to let them? Is it is it a matter of we're going to let them try to solve their own problems? I think maybe it's this is going to push Puerto Rico into a really interesting position. Like, is, what does it mean to be a territory of the United States? What does it mean to pay taxes and have representation if you're not going to have support? We'll, we'll get to you. We'll get eventually. We'll get there. We'll get there eventually. But uh, the the misstep really was the administration too, kind of slowly getting the president there. Yeah. And even though he'll be there Tuesday, but that's still two weeks after. You you can be there without physically being there. Yeah. And there was really no. I mean, FEMA had started moving, you know, things that direction, moving supplies, but the government really wasn't talking about it. And then the other problem the uh, the people, uh, the leaders in Puerto Rico had pointed out was you look at Irma and Harvey, there was a lot of media coverage. Yeah. And they didn't have the media coverage in Puerto Rico because it's hard to get there. They were going to be literally cut off from everyone. Power is going to go out. Right. So how do you get a TV broadcast out of there? So it, 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 is, it isn't even just the president. It's even our media. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a country, are we overlooking the little Puerto Rico? Absolutely. Our little Be- tiny brother. That we don't pay attention to. Being there without being there, that, is that like Trump saying, well, they're in my heart, so I'm there? You know what it is? It, it is that, and it's also Trump's spokespeople saying, no, th- there's good news there. Yeah. It's, it's good news. Like, well, no. I mean, no. There's small achievements. Great. But, I mean— And six months before you'll get power yeah. back on? I think they said 100% of the electrical grid was damaged. Wow. So – and now the mayor of San Juan is like on CNN taking it on like, no, 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 no. This isn't good news. There's not good news here. So let's fix this. Let's do what we can. And again, we it's – I just – I feel so bad for him. Um, apparently 
there's 9,500 containers that are ready to be trucked all over Puerto Rico, but only 20% of the truck drivers in Puerto Rico are working or out there. And probably because a lot of their trucks have been damaged, the roads aren't working. They're trying to probably take care of their own lives too. Cell phones and all you know, landlines, if they had you know that type of infrastructure is all down, so they can't contact most of them to say, hey, come on back. So we yeah. get supplies out, and they are dealing with their own situation at the time. But luckily, the good news is celebrities are all over are trying to raise money by, I guess, turning in their their uh, their shots of them as juveniles going through puberty. Hmm. Hmm. So the ugly puberty shot that nobody wants ever shown of them, a bunch of celebrities are are putting those out there, and I guess huh. somehow they're going to raise money using those. Really, kind of gives you perspective too, because here's here's this: uh, they don't have any power, right? Yeah. We freak out. If oh. we forget our phone or our phone runs out of battery for five minutes. Can you minutes. imagine? I know. Can you, I mean, really, there's there's lines of people to just get their phone service working. I mean, to get up and get their phone charged. Right. That's unbelievable. And again, they, they pay taxes. Hmm. They have representatives. It's – Yeah. It's scary. I mean, again, just look at it. If we can forget a, a country like Puerto Rico – I mean, a, a – a part of our country like Puerto Rico, why couldn't we forget your state? Why couldn't we forget your city? And some are saying, well, you have. People often do <laughs> forget have. that Utah is a place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so true. Anyway, we'll get to that fun. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? The State Department will order more than half of its staff out of the U.S. Embassy in Cuba over sonic attacks that have left some workers with brain damage. Some 60% of embassy workers Uh, The worker force will be pulled in response to specific attacks on diplomats, according to the Associated Press. More than 20 staffers have suffered brain damage, hearing loss, and other injuries since 2016 at the Havana compound. The U.S. will stop issuing visas in Cuba indefinitely. They'll hold official delegation travel due to attacks. This is all coming out right now as they uh, believe there was a the U.S. to warn American travelers not to visit Cuba due to concern about health attacks in hotels. So all these are coming out right now as they're putting these travel advisories out about what's going on in Cuba when it comes mm. to our diplomats. The Senate unanimously confirmed John Huntsman on uh, Jr. on Thursday to be the next U.S. ambassador to Russia. Huntsman, a former Utah governor and Republican presidential candidate, previously served as the U.S. ambassador to China under President Obama. Huntsman has taken a harder line on Russia than President Donald Trump and uh, said during the confirmation hearing that there is no question that Russia interfered in the U.S. election last year. Wow. No no question. No question. Well, I mean, some people are still questioning it. Well, the president. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what they're pointing out. China has instructed all North Korean-owned companies in the country to shut down after the U.N. Security Council voted to impose new sanctions on the country earlier this month over North Korea's escalating uh, missile tests. The firm in, firms in question, which will uh, include joint Chinese and North Korean operations, will close by January 2018. China has set a deadline of 120 days from September 11th when the sanctions were unanimously voted in. Hmm. So China's making some moves, finally, to... Uh, curtail North Korea. Twitter announced Thursday it has found and shut down 100 or 201 accounts linked to Russian operatives who uh, bought political ads on Facebook in an attempt to deepen political t- uh, divisions in the United States. Three of the accounts were from Russian government-backed news site RT, which spent $274,000 in ads on Twitter during the presidential campaign. Uh, Twitter made presentation to the Senate Intelligence Committee and House Intelligence Committee staffers on Thursday. And Senator Mark Warner of Virginia said he didn't think the company was doing enough to keep Russian operatives from meddling in U.S. affairs and shown an enormous lack of understanding 
uh, about how uh, serious the issue is and the threat that it poses to democratic institutions. So apparently hmm. Twitter shows up. They treated it like the government was trying to dream up some new regulation instead of there's an attack on our, you know, our country, our basically, country, is how yeah. the, 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 the two committees are coming at us. So oh, not the level of seriousness they were mm. looking for from yeah. the people from Twitter. So Twitter's going to have to... Uh, also, they don't think they're sharing all of the information. They think they're sharing just a little bit because they don't want to share it all to show just how, how big a problem it is. Got. Yeah. And possibly how many uh, fake accounts are actually making up Twitter's whole, which is quite a bit. A lot yeah. of bots, mm. a lot of just empty accounts that they're counting as users. And so who Ooh, that's true, because, yeah, you'll find out a lot of these aren't even active. So the total number of users on Twitter is actually quite a bit smaller. I heard it's like 30, 30 people. It could be. It could be 30 people causing all the problems. And Trump's one of them. <laughs> and finally, this is uh, found this interesting uh, okay. for sports fans out there. Yeah. The NBA is trying to discourage the act of tanking where a team will lose on purpose to improve chances to get the top pick in next year's NBA draft. Hold on. They'd have to discourage this? Well, they are. Uh, the okay. NBA Board of Governors passed a draft lottery reform on Thursday uh, beginning in 2019. Uh, this when these effects will go in. Per ESPN, the team that finishes with the worst record in the league will lose its big ping pong ball, ping pong ball advantage. Before, that franchise had a 25% chance of getting the number one overall pick. Now it'll be a 14% chance. Ah. Hmm. The same odds will be given to the second worst record and the third worst record, giving all three the same sh- uh, chance at the number one pick, 14%. That's great. No tanking. Hmm. You don't want to be the worst worst. Right. So, yeah. So a team could be the absolute worst in the entire league, you know, like the Brooklyn Nets last year. Yeah. And it will have less than a 50% chance of actually getting to the top three. Oh, wow. Spot. Okay, but, so, okay so here, here's the deal. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, it, it seems like, that, okay, that's a problem. Yes. That's a problem. But if your team <clears throat> is the worst in the league. Yes. Why does it matter if you're tanking? It seems like a bigger problem would be if I go see the best team in the league at the end of the season right. and they're not playing any of their players. Well, there's that too. That would bug you. Start me. pulling that players to oh, rest yeah. them up for the playoffs. Well, th- that'll probably be another problem they have to try to address. What would they call that? Um, pranking. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they'll have to figure out a way to make sure that you have a legit reason to sit out. Yeah. Because the problem is people are paying for tickets. I, I pay one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars for my courtside seats. If you Mm-mm. what? What? If you pay for tickets <laughs> huh? to say the Brooklyn Nets, yeah, but they spent fifty games last year, not even really trying. And it's not necessarily that the players aren't trying; it's yeah. that the the actual team doesn't get the kind of players that can win. They right. get players that are just okay, fine, and they go out and miss a bunch of shots, and you lose trying to find that one guy that's going to be the best guy in the draft. To no, build your team totally. up, right? Well, or if you go see the San Antonio Spurs yep. and their top players only play a quarter because they're already into the playoffs and they don't want to hurt now, anybody. They, yeah. they used to do that towards the end of the season once their kind of yeah. their position yeah. in the playoffs were secure. Now they do it before Christmas where the season just started. That's right. And they're like, well, we played like 14 games, so we're going to let them sit this one out. No. And, everyone, no. and these people have paid top price. Right. To, to go see, say, uh, if they play a, a, a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah. you want to see the Spurs play LeBron James, but you show up and the Spurs sit all their stars. Well, and you're like, well, you're not seeing the best versus so the best here. If so I go to money? an Adele concert yeah. and it's at the end of her tour, well, she's been you know, Adele will be, re- will be played by Louise 
Jonas yeah. from Arkansas. Or like the producers. No, I want, I want Adele. I paid yeah. money for Adele. I want Adele. If I see the Warriors, I want to see the Warriors. So, and there's really only five of them I want to see. The problem is <laughs> the people who want to save the player or they want to tank the season yeah. are the owners and general managers. Sure, you money-grubbing. They're, they're the ones that have to change the rules. Okay, here, no, or do this. This is such a good idea. Because that's how it works. Today's, today's game will be discounted by 35% because mm, only 35% no. of our potential playing yeah. ability was on the court. No, they, don't, they won't do that. I know. See, so that's the point. So play the horse. You got if you've got a stick if you've got what's the name of the the what's the name of if you've got single what's it, a single ter- what was the name of the horse the big sea biscuit okay let's say that <laughs> I was thinking another if you've got the the horse sea biscuit right you got to race the horse sea biscuit race the horse you rode in on or something. yeah I yeah. think yeah, yeah Paul Revere said that <laughs> and so that's the rule that needs to be the rule. Well, the the way the rules work in the NBA is that the owners and make general managers make the rules. So, see, that's why all of these sports are going to start losing fan base. Eh, we'll see. Because again, I've got Netflix, and it's only like what ten bucks a month. Yeah, I don't even know what I pay. Well, the best part is they usually announce it uh, about ten o'clock the morning of the big game that these guys aren't going to play, so yeah. you can already plan your evening. Well, but I've already bought the ticket. Well, I mean, if you bought a ticket. That's yeah. why I don't buy tickets. Well, that's right. It's kind of a ripoff. Season ticket holders should rebel and say, if you only – and all they have to do – it's a very simple thing. You'll have my credit card on, uh, on – you know, in your computer system. Yes. And if then we're going to adjust the scale of what percentage mm. – and every player will have a percentage of power, like a power number. And if they don't play and if they don't play the full it's time – almost like – Uber's surge pricing here. It's exactly. It's about demand, pricing. supply and demand. So the minute the minute you want to pull all of your players, then you just took my fifty dollars seat and you decreased it, and now it's an eighteen dollars seat. Mm. You know what though? Either way, you're still getting a plate of nachos. No, and but in I the had end, to pay twenty dollars for the nachos. That's a good point, but and seven dollars for the water. You that's can't why have nachos without so water. that's yeah. why so many people go to the stadium in the first place. Nachos, because you're not going to get a plate of nachos and peanuts and ice cream just sitting at home watching it on TV. You could. You actually could but have a don't. better plate. Yeah. You don't cheaper. Yeah. And I get my special seat. And you could guarantee that's actual cheese. And I can ask my kids to rub my feet. Ah. I'm just saying some people, like they for, never do. for baseball, a lot of people uh, say that baseball's boring, that yeah. it's better to watch on TV. But if you go to the stadium, the most exciting thing might be the, the nachos in the helmet. True. But the baseball players seem to play. Yeah, they don't sit out as much. They'll take a day off occasionally. Yeah. But not like they do in the NBA where they'll just sit them down. And... This is, but this is becoming contagious. Because uh, I have a friend, a son. Uh, uh, how do I put this to keep? I know a, a person. Are you trying to protect mm-hmm. identities uh-huh. here? Go ahead, just Who out somebody has has a, a deal to play college football. Oh wow! But that person also with a really good team, hmm. and that person also plays high school football and high school basketball. Mm-hmm. But because he signed the deal with the college team, he now is not going to play basketball. 
which oh. which is now impacting. There have been years that this guy has been on the team playing basketball, and other people couldn't play because he was a star player. Right. And now the star player won't be playing. Is it an injury? No. Yeah, they're fear? afraid of injury. Yep, they're afraid he's going to get hurt, and, and the because school he signed feels a like they've made football? an investment. Yeah, yeah, but at that point, you're talking about high school sports and college sports. I know, but we're starting them early to think mm-hmm. that um, you know that your body is so important as the essential key to get through everything that you can quit anytime it's you know it is, financially it is, suitable it is i think the that's reading a little too much into it because it's now impacting <laughs> an entire student body does the uh college have they made this suggestion to him they've made a demand oh yeah but if he gets injured then it affects his student body There you go. I don't think that's funny. No, it's fine. Well, studio audience, fifty disagrees. audience members can't be wrong. Everybody, remember that you get to vote with your pocketbook. Mm. If you don't like these rules in the NBA, don't go get an NBA seat. I don't get an NBA seat normally. I don't either. So. <laughs> I mean, I went to one game last year with my kids. Yeah, that's the fun thing. You take one game, and when they play like junior jazz or little league, you'll no. always go. You'll go to one game. And- Half hour in. We're in, like, first quarter ends, and he goes, so, are we done? I'm like, we just got here. <laughs> the, the How thing, much did I just spend on tickets? The thing I don't like anymore is you're so high up in the rafters mm. that all you can see is the Jumbotron and the drones that they fly around. Dropping T-shirts drop or t-shirts. burritos or something. But yeah. the, I don't think the drones can get up as high as we are because no, of altitude. It's, it's too thin up the, there. The yeah. oxygen's too thin. Yeah. I still think there's enough at the stadium to keep you entertained. Like the kiss cam or the racing helmets where you're trying to figure out which yeah. one's going to win. See, but I don't like any of that. Or the bloopers. I, know. I go there to watch the game. I don't the know nachos. what you're doing. You go for the nachos. Yeah. Hmm. Used to be for the Dodger dog, but now I'm more for the nachos. See, this is notice this has been a very manly discussion. And up next, we are going to uh, be talking with Brett McKay, who is the um, really the founder, the creator of the website, The Art of, uh, Art of Manliness. And uh, he's got a great book out there, uh, The Illustrated Art of Manliness. He's helping men understand how to be men. It's a pretty interesting uh, concept and a wonderful uh, interview straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Manhood has been defiled or defiled. Manhood has been defined as the ability to work successfully and competently navigate the murky waters of life. In many cultures, uh, you know, attribute uh, women tend to find certain attributes more attractive than others, like competency and effectiveness. And according to our guest today, Brett McKay, who's the founder of the website The Art of Manliness, to be a man means to be skilled in the range of tasks that are critical to survive and thrive in society. And uh, he's joining us today to talk about his website, The um, Art of Manliness, and his book, The Illustrated Art of Manliness. Brett McKay, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. This is, uh, to me, I, I've always loved your site. I go through it regularly. Talk to me about what drove you to, uh, to put together a site on manliness. So this started back in 2008 when I was a second-year law student. And uh, what happened was I was at a bookstore looking at the men's magazine, Sarah Killing Time, uh, in between study sessions. 
And I realized, this is something I did, I did frequently, I realized looking at these magazines that every month I would see the same thing. I would see articles on six-pack abs, always <laughs> I know. six-pack abs. Yep. Uh, you know, the, the latest style that, you know, you had to buy the $5,000 sweater you needed, sex tips. Uh, just, it was just all very superficial. It didn't resonate with me. As, you know, this is what it means to be a man. Right. Um, so I said, you know what, I'll start the men's magazine that I'd want to read. Uh, you know, and that's just when blogging was picking up. So I bought a domain name, installed uh, WordPress, which is a blogging platform, cost me 10 bucks, And I started writing articles. And it really wasn't, it was supposed to be just a hobby. And what ended up happening was I found out that a lot of other men felt the same way as me. They were they were tired of sort of the superficial content being put out there for men, and they're looking for something a little with a little more substance. I love it too, and I, I mean I think I think you're really onto something because um, I mean it's almost like manhood was being geared more by fashion in some magazines or just by your body in others. But to me, too, uh, being raised with uh, parents that divorce and a dad in the home half of the time or I was with my dad only mo- you know half the time there's a lot of stuff too that there that's just kind of interesting to learn just interesting little things you could to know what other men are doing yeah i mean so what we do is you write, there's a lot of how to content on there and so it's stuff that uh, you know dad should have taught you or grandfather you know grandpa should have taught you but you didn't pick up for whatever reason. Yeah, you might have come from a divorced home, or maybe you didn't, but dad was just gone all the time. Yeah, busy. Because of work. Is um, it, how do you and, define it? How do you define man, uh, manliness? Manliness. So we take a, a classical approach. And by classical, I mean ancient Greece, ancient Rome. And this is the idea of manliness that we had in the West, I would say up until about uh, the, the, the middle of the 20th century. And, and the, their idea of manliness, if you look at the, the Roman word for manliness, or the Latin word for manliness, uh, it was uh, virtus, which is our word for virtue, where we get our word for virtue. So for them, manliness meant you know, acquiring certain virtues like temperance and prudence and courage and strength. Um, and like you weren't, you weren't, you weren't a man until you developed these attributes. Um, you were a male, but to be considered a, a vir, a V-I-R, or it's pronounced weir if you want to, you know, get your Latin right, uh, you had to develop virtus or virtus. Um, so that's kind of what the approach we're taking towards man. It means being uh, virtuous and not, and virtuous meaning, you know, sort of not just, you know, pure. I think oftentimes we think of virtue as sexual purity. Yeah. Weird, but virtue means excellence in all aspects of life. So that's kind of the idea of manliness that we're, we're aspiring towards. towards. That's, that's powerful. I mean, really, it's because um, it's not just about the cologne you wear, but you could talk about cologne, and it's not just about being able to light a fire, but you also talk about that. It's, it's about excellence. It's about becoming really you know, good, something people could be proud of. Right. So, yeah, I like the uh, the Greeks had this idea of a gentleman, right? And we think of gentlemen like, oh, this sort of foppish guy wears bow ties and whatever. But no, for the Greeks, a gentleman was uh, an excellent man, right? So you, you were able to, you were skillful uh, in what, you know, the Greeks considered important, which was warfare, uh, oratory, debate, things like that. But you also had developed, and you also, you also knew how to dress well, but you also knew how to... Um, you develop these virtues of excellence and, and arete, which is courage, or which is excellence. I mean, Andrea, which is courage or manliness. So it's the whole package. It's not just focusing on one aspect. It's trying to develop all of it. Mm. And the, what else I love about the site is there tends to be this, this almost this nostalgia 
associated with it, like yeah. kind of the good old days, but also, but really uh, even a, a better man than even the good old days. Right. Yeah. We we try not to. Uh, I mean, I, I just I'm drawn to that period. Like a lot of inspiration for this site comes from my grandfather. Uh, he died just last year. It's actually a year ago today. Um, he was a hundred years old. Hmm. He served during World War II. He was a forester, uh, you know, so he could go out into the mountains with just a pack horse and a fishing rod and a gun. He could he could survive, but he was also, uh, you know, very charismatic and charming. He was, he was well read. He was always learning. He was really that that I that's that was when I thought of manliness. Like that was was my pictures, like my grandfather. And so yeah, the, the site does have sort of a vintage vibe too. You see a lot of old pictures and, and things like that. But we we. We look to the past for inspiration. We definitely don't romanticize it. We recognize there's a lot of problems um, uh, associated with manhood from the past that we want to leave in the dustbin of history. But I don't believe you should throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's a lot we can learn from them, a lot of things they got right. Right. Uh, so we, we try to get that and extract that and see how we can apply it uh, today. Because I think that this is idea that we need to reinvent manliness or masculinity. Like, we need a new man. We've been trying that since, like, the 1960s, and it's never taken off. I mean, it's always failed. And, and instead of trying to reinvent manliness, I think we just need to rediscover it. Because um, there is a really um, aspirational, noble, good idea of manliness that we have that goes back thousands of years. It's just a matter of you know, knowing where to look and, and yeah. extracting that. And, and it, yeah, there, there is a sense that it's, it's been lost or tr- we keep trying to replace it with something that maybe it just isn't. Right, Exactly. Um, and I mean, you can, I mean, what's amazing, people are like, oh, you know, men are, we got to get rid of toxic masculinity. And yeah, there's a, there's a type of, um, ideal of masculinity that's terrible, but we have this idea of good manliness. If you read like the classics going back to ancient, you know, Rome and ancient Greece, and you read literature all through the Western Canada, there's, there's these ideals of manhood that are just fantastic and that I want to aspire. And I want my kid to, to live up to like, you know, one of our sort of patron saints of the art of manliness is Theodore Roosevelt. And the guy had. He had his issues. He did some. I had some worldviews that I didn't agree with. But I love the idea of that he had was that to be a man meant to be of service and, and get your hat in the arena and serve in the public. This was a guy who was born into affluence. Um, his family was wealthy. He could have decided to just you know live off that and sort of you know, ride his coattail, ride his father's coattails for the rest of life and just live a, a life of comfort. But he purposefully decided to make himself better, to be of use to his country and to his communities. And he, and, he, and he purposely put himself in hard situations so he can challenge himself and become a better person. Um, so I, I love that idea. And he was just full of vitality. He lived a, a full life. And uh, I mean, I, I think he's just a fantastic, really just fascinating character in American history and also in the, the history of manhood. I, I, I agree. And it's, it, it is, it's almost sometimes feels like it's, it's um, I don't know, that that there's a price out on the head of man, and I, I like the idea that uh, that we can we can disagree with people's views, but but we can still learn from their history and and still hold up all the virtues really of of what they aspire to be. I also love on your on your site how well written a lot of the articles are too. This isn't they're they're deeper. They're they're really they're well thought out. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, just the background of, you know, both my wife and I work on the site. We you know, collaborate on a lot of the articles that we do, especially the really big, meaty ones. Um, my wife has a background. She has a master's in religion. So she, you know, she's very research oriented. I have my legal background. was also, you know, research and writing oriented. 
Um, and so, yeah, I th- a lot of these ideas we're trying to explore, they're not simple ideas. They're yeah. nuanced. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, in our in our sort of way our culture or media is primed, like, we don't like that. Like, you just right. give me the too long, didn't read version. But you can't do that when you're grappling with big issues of, you know, what does it mean to be a man? So, yeah, a lot of, you'll see content where there'll be a series of articles. You know, it's pretty much book length. And if you really want to, you know, that's what we're trying to do. You have to read all of it. You can't just skim it because you're going to miss out on things. Do you see, um, again, we're speaking with Brett McKay, who is the founder of um, The Art of Manliness. And if you go to artofmanliness.com, you can find the website. How how do you see women responding to it? And it seems like it actually um, could be a great benefit and tool for them. No, yeah, we get a we get a, we get a lot of letters from women. Um, some of my favorite letters we get are from single moms who, hmm. you know, they're raising a teenage boy and they're like, "Well, I, you know, I don't know what to do. Like, I want him, you know, to be a good man, and I just don't, you know, he doesn't have that in his life." So, you know, they they direct their sons to it, and the site has inspired them to go find, you know, seek out a male mentor for their sons. Um, I get I love when we get letters from wives who are like, you know, my my husband found your site and it's changed his life. Like he's Finally, you know, he's starting to exercise. He's starting to take more interest in the family. He's, you know, it's, I haven't seen him like this in, in years. So, yeah, we get a lot of, a lot of thought, positive feedback uh, from women. And also, you know, a lot of our content is, you know, it's geared to both. I mean, both, it's applicable to both male and female, right? It's just mm-hmm. about what does it mean to live a good life. And so we have a lot of women readers who just love the content for that. Um, and it's funny, a lot of them ask for, like, I wish there was something like this for women because they're also tired of the sort of shallow, superficial content put out there for, yeah. for women. Is is there even any any corollary? Can you see another site that's anything like yours for women? I mean, there's a few out there. I mean, I, people ask us to do, like, the art of womanliness. We just don't have the time yeah. for it. Um, but there's a few out there. One is uh, Verily uh, Magazine. It's a website. Um, and they're they're doing something similar. They you know they focus. It's a little it's it's a lot more substantive than you'll find um, a lot of the other content you'll find on the other websites or magazines. That's good. I mean, you hope it still has little perfume sniffers that you can smell. Every every magazine <laughs> I, that, that I have these anyway. We don't even go there. Hey, yeah, we're no, speaking. Yeah, the GQ. It's the, kind of, it's, exactly. It makes me sick. I mean, because I don't like it anyway, but then then all of a sudden my kids are running around with them. Um, we're right. speaking with Brett McKay uh, from The Art of Manliness, a great uh, blog as well as uh, just a great resource, I think, for men to understand uh, really the virtues and, and the characteristics and, and the traits that we might want to aspire to, as well as the skills that we might need as a, as a man. We'll continue this discussion straight ahead and, and get into some of um, Brett's favorite characteristics that he's been uh, talking about on the website. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Ah, a little clip from Robin Hood, uh, Men in Tights. Which, and, and the minute you're men in tights doing the dance of uh, manly men, 
you may not be selling it very well. It might be better for you to go to the website, artofmanliness.com, or to pick up uh, our guest, Brett McKay's book, The Illustrated Art of Manliness, The Essential How-To Guide. Uh, Brett is the founder of the, um, the Art of Manliness and and this and the illustrated art of manliness book the essential how to guide he also um is uh you play a big part in the website uh is that right Brett do you do you feel like you're as involved as you used to be or are you trying to to you know move on and start other things no i mean i'm still as involved as i used to be and you know, besides the content on the site we have a podcast that you know got a pretty decent following yeah uh, but but we have moved on. We've we've done other things. We started a new platform called the Strenuous Life, uh, which is basically like scouts for grown men is how <laughs> I would frame it. Um, and it's the idea is to help guys actually put into action the things we've been writing about. And that's one thing I've noticed. A lot of men will write and they'll be like, "Well, you know, there's so much stuff I want to do, but I just don't know where to get started." Hmm. Well, at the Strenuous Life, we we lay we provide a structure for you to get started with all the the cool stuff you've been reading about on the art of manliness. That's pretty cool. Did you ever think when you were in law school that this would be your future? No, not at all. I mean, I thought I would be practicing oil and gas law here Did in you? Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it, it, was, it was a happy accident, and I'm glad it, it's taken off, and it's been really rewarding um, just to, you know, it's fun just to write content, kind of talk about what's on your mind, but also just helping men and just the, the great the letters we get and the emails we get where you know people share how the site has helped them yeah. in a small way. It also um, what I like too is hearing about because you're going through one of those typical success patterns where the minute you get successful, then you have 500 other opportunities to be a speaker, to write more books, and you have more demand on your time. But you, uh, in one of the things I read, you made a really important decision to to stick to what you're good at and and just get really good at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I, I see that that happens with a lot of people. They'll get really successful and they'll just go off and do other things. But yeah, I don't. I don't travel. I don't do speaking engagements. Not that I don't enjoy public speaking. I do. It's fun and it energizes me. But it, it takes. It distracts me from you know writing content or getting a podcast ready or just like the work that. That I provide, you know, I, I think I feel like I provide a lot of value with. So, yeah, I think uh, this happens to any man, whether or woman. You you have expect success in one domain. You're like, oh, I should, you know, springboard this to other things, and that usually ends up uh, not not working out for you. Not working out. Does um, how how is this how is this helping your marriage or hurting your marriage? Do you recommend working with your spouse? Is it is it uh, is it an easy thing? I mean, I know, I have a lot of clients that they struggle with that very issue. Yeah, people always are you know shocked that my wife and I pretty much spend twenty four hours uh, together. <laughs> um, but I, it works out for us because we have such compatible personalities, uh, and we you know we, we it doesn't mean we don't argue. We do argue, but. We're able to do it in a way that it's productive and we don't let it, it doesn't uh, hurt our relationship. It's just, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, so if you, if you are going to, you know, work with this, you know, work with your spouse, like just make sure you marry well. Yeah. <laughs> make sure you're, the spouse you're, you're completely compatible, you're compatible with. Um, and if, you, if it doesn't work, that's fine. You know, that's. that's yeah. I mean, it's, that's, it's, it's, everyone's different, right? Yeah, I wish I wish I had some sort of like. Here's the thing you do. Yeah. But like I don't. <laughs> you I don't, don't know. It's just like that. It's worked out. So that's pretty cool. Is there um, when when you think of your site and the the many years this has been on since '08, so nine or so years of doing this. What are some of your favorite lessons or some of your favorite uh, 
characteristics or traits or virtues that you've highlighted that, that really you think make a difference? Yeah, so uh, there's a few, like, series where we've delved in deep into, you know, different ideas of manliness. One that we did a few years ago uh, was really hard to write was the idea of honor. Um, and if you look across cultures and across time, honor has been an important part of what it means to be a man or manhood. Mm. Uh, the thing is, the way we think of honor today in the, you know, in modern times, isn't how honor really is. It wasn't what honor really is. Um, you know, we think of honor as integrity nowadays, but for most of human history, honor for men meant like your reputation, um, your reputation for strength, your for courage, or just being an excellent man. And there's a lot of downsides to honor. Um, you know, it, 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 you can basically honor one of the codes of honors might makes right. So, uh, that's why we had, you know, uh, you know, com- like single combat back in medieval times, right? So if someone insulted you and said, you know, accused you of doing something wrong, even though you actually did it, you could say, well, I, I challenge you to this. And if you won, you could say, well, I didn't do it, right? Because I, I, right. I won the battle, even though you actually did. So that, there's parts of our culture that, that's not good. But I do like the idea of, of, you know, being held accountable for what you do and being concerned about your reputation. Um, and, and sort of the flip side of honor is shame. And we often look down on shame as, you know, toxic, whatever. And there is a toxic shame. But shame can also be a, a check on people to actually do the right thing, mm. right? Like, a lot of times we, we do things because, like, we don't want to look bad, yeah. right? And some people would say, well, that's that's terrible. You should do things because it's the right thing to do. And yeah, maybe so. But um, I think shame is more powerful <laughs> for a lot of people. Absolutely. It's sort of a shameless society. So that there's a whole series. We go from the history. We, we, we delve into the history of honor. Um, all the way from, you know, ancient Greece up until now. And then, yeah, how can we revive some of the good parts of honor, um, you know, man, the honor and manhood uh, today? That was a fun one. Another fun series, uh, another fun post we are talking about is improvisation, being a manly attribute. Um, and, yeah, again, if you look across uh, time and culture, like the ability to act, um, you know, to improvise mm-hmm. is a manly thing. Like you look at like MacGyver, Odysseus. like MacGyver, exactly. But yeah. because it's even bigger than MacGyver. Like Odysseus was like the, the MacGyver of <laughs> you know ancient Greece, right? Um, and there's this uh, culture. This guy, this anthropologist, did this uh, book called Poetics of Manhood, uh, where he went to the island of Crete and you know kind of lived with these like shepherds, and uh, they really loved improvisation. Like you were like. Super manly. If you could just you know, bust out a dance, you know, a jig, like on the fly, come up with a poem. Like if you, if you even go to like jazz, right? Jazz is very like manly yeah. because it requires improvisation. Or even you can see it carry over to rap. You know, these rap battles where these guys are you know, spitting so out lyrics. So true, yeah. And it's it's all improvisation. And you know, we see it today. Like you're impressed by a guy who, who's thrown into a situation, has no clue what to do. But they're able to use their wits and their resources to, you know, get out of the situation or fix the situation. Uh, so yeah, improvisation is, uh, you know, it's basically <laughs> the test of, of of manly competence and skill. Um, it's that so was a true. Fun thing. I mean, it's uh, it's fun funny too because it it also it involves it involves you know the manliness ability to you know to make a canoe out of a sheepskin, but um, also right. to the arts and even the sciences. I mean, it really is such a, it's such a universal virtue or skill. It's cool. 
And so, yeah, yeah, so you went into an in-depth process and studied improvisation, and then you highlight it on the site in in like two or three or four stories. Is that how you do it? Yeah, we just you know, we researched it and we just wrote an article and just said like, here's why improvisation is manly, and like, here's why like. What we often do is like we take ideas that we think, okay, that's manly, right? Yeah. We think that we know we feel that's manly, but like why is it, right? And try to articulate. So I feel like a lot of our ideas of gender or manhood or womanliness, it's a lot of it's very implicit. Yeah, right? you just sort of grow up with it and um, you you recognize it, but you don't know why. And so we try to make that explicit. And so a lot of times we we go to anthropologists, we go to psychologists, we go to historians, who in in order to make the implicit explicit. And by making the implicit explicit, it just gives you a new insight and it lets you look at it thing differently and um, figure out how to apply it or maybe not apply it. Yeah. Life. No, I love it. And you can also – and you do it beautifully on the site. You take every virtue and make it – and you can show how every virtue can be manly. Even what we would see as a soft skill can still be – it's incredibly manly. <laughs> And can be done in a very powerful way. Well, we appreciate your time, Brett. Brett McKay's his name. Go check out the website, um, uh, uh, Art of Manliness, or, or the books as well, The Illustrated Art of Manliness. His podcast is out there. He's, he's got a lot of people uh, interested and um, really deep, profound, I think, learnings about the virtues of life and the virtues of manhood. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, one thing we haven't followed up on recently is um, Jeff's amazing weight loss program. Yes, it's called Diet Bet. Diet where you, Bet. You put in about $20, $30, anywhere up to 100 and the more people join, the bigger the pot gets. And so they, the, the money goes into a pot, and then everybody's supposed to lose weight. Right, but it's not a winner-take-all. So if you get your goal, if you accomplish it, then you get a piece of the pie. And you've done this twice now. Done it twice. Eight pounds, eight and a half pounds the first time, and you won $45. Yeah. Which paid for your, your entry. Yes. And you netted 15 bucks. 15 bucks. Which, honestly, <laughs> that's like two combo meals. But how many people can say that, yeah, that's probably not where the money's going, but okay. how many people can say that they're earning money yeah. losing weight? It's your, a great feeling. Your wife loves this because it's just another income. Yeah, well, <laughs> she, it's like she's it's, probably it's not going to see any of that. It's as if she took the fat off your body and was selling the fat away to fuel lamps across the world. So I guess you could say that my fat is worth a lot of money. Yeah, you've done it twice though, and then so that we were wondering if you were going to make this last time because. You were down to a couple days left, and you still needed to lose a couple pounds. It was touch and go. Yeah. So I kind of went to some extremes the last week. But suffice it to say that I made it. You look, you look fantastic. Not that it's all about looks, but you have more spring in your step. And uh, I really like your short shorts. Thank you. Ever since, They're called Spanx. But, ever know. since you've been doing this, yeah, you've been wearing a lot of different clothes. And I like it. I, I know HR is not so proud, proud of it. but In fact, I'm, I think I have a meeting with yeah, them after the I'm show. I'm sure you do. We, yeah, there was a report. Um, we, let's go now to McKenna Baus. Uh, Baus is in the house, and McKenna is going to talk to us, a little mind bender, about exercise and self-control. 
the topic of the day. I guess one thing we could do is we could um, we could just pay to get into a contest to keep us motivated. Definitely one option. Are there any other options? Yeah. So we all know that exercise can be good for our health for a lot of different reasons. Right. That it has a lot of different benefits. Whether it's you know it gives you endorphins, you know just weight loss, a lot of different things. Um, but one really cool thing that they've discovered is that. Exercise just in and of itself can make us less impulsive and give us better self-control in our lives. What? Okay. So it doesn't just make us feel better. You're saying by exercising, it actually tamps down your impulsivity. Exactly. And then that can have benefits in different areas of our lives. Is it because we're less – we have less energy to be impulsive with or is it – what does it do? So – what they've done in this study is they've had um, a, you know the participants complete a questionnaire called a delayed discounting questionnaire, and it basically is sort of one of those accepted methods of telling you know how well a person can delay gratification. Yeah, yeah. Sort of that idea of the marshmallows and the right. kid. You know, yeah. if you wait, you get two kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so what they did is they had these um, participants complete a survey that measured how. Well, they could delay gratification. And then they proceeded to do a workout regimen for a number of weeks. And when they had finished that, they brought them back, had them do the same survey again, and they showed significantly improved results Wow! in terms of the self-control. And so there's you know a couple different theories is about why that might be. One of them is the idea that exercise in and of itself is sort of a form of delayed gratification. It right, sort of feels right. awful when you start. Uh-huh. And then it feels better as you go on, once you get those endorphins, once you see the results. And then the benefits of that might be spilling over into the rest of your life because you sort of see, oh, you know, waiting a little while, you know, continuing to work right. pays off. Right. Um, so that might be part of it. Another thing is just we know that exercise does have effects on the brain. And so it may be helping rewire how we think. So really getting into kind of a regimen, if you could make, if you could make exercise a habit, a regimen that you would do consistently, it would help you have more self-control. And many would argue, but that's the reason I don't make it a habit because I have no self-control. So but so in the end, I guess work. Try to make it a habit. Mm-hmm. Make it a habit and then you might get more and more self-control, more and more ability to succeed at something. Yeah. And in this study, they had um, some of the people who came – and we're part of the study. We're really good about showing up for the exercise program. Mm-hmm. And they were all the ones who showed the benefit. The person who didn't, and they yeah. mentioned there was you know, somebody who wasn't as good about coming things, they did not show the improved benefits. So you know, maybe get some buddies together, yeah. arrange with other people to say, okay, hey, let's meet up. Give yourself some kind of outside motivation to get started with the exercise. Yeah. And then let those benefits grow until you're exercising on your own and you're seeing that kind of self-control. And then even if it's, you know, self-control in terms of like not watching as much TV mm-hmm. or you can then use it eating everywhere better else. food and letting those that's benefits powerful. play out. And really maybe that's one of the reasons why sports for kids might be a great idea if you could use the sports to channel them to getting the exercise they need to then use more self-control and gain more self-control. Exactly. Powerful stuff. McKenna Baus is her name. Baus is in the house. Thanks, McKenna. My pleasure. A little mind bender for you. So exercise does help you focus more. Uh, Speaking of focus, um, it's it's Friday. And because it's Friday, 
It means we're going to be uh, next hour doing what we call screen cleaning, which is Jeff Simpson's show. It's it's an extension of the Matt Townsend show. What are That's we going right. to talk about, Jeff? Well, today, do you ever wonder how movies are assigned the ratings that they get? Yes, because that doesn't make sense sometimes. Yeah, you see a movie that you're like, why why was that rated R? It should have been PG-13. Or sometimes you see a PG-13 movie and you say, why was that PG-13 and not rated R? Right, exactly. Yeah, especially a lot of movies from the 80s are like that, or it's like, whoa, I get watched the kids that? That out an of the room. Right. Yeah, so we're going to be talking, Rod Gustafson and I are going to be talking about the rating system, and we're also going to give you some alternative movies that you can watch that might be similar to the the more adult movies that you might want to watch. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. let me give you an example. Yeah, yeah. So let's say there's an R-rated movie that you really want to see, but you just can't bring yourself to do it or you don't want to watch it with your kids. There might be a similar movie with similar themes, but the rating is lower. Oh, interesting. So you can enjoy it just as much. Uh, like a one-off. An offshoot. Yes. Good stuff. So um, that this is all straight ahead. Next hour on the Matt Townsend Show. It's screen cleaning with Jeff Simpson. And it's it's our way on the show, the Matt Townsend Show, to kind of launch you into your weekend. Mm-hmm. We want to give you a leg up. We're giving you lots of ideas of things you can do, not just movies, but other forms of entertainment that you can enjoy with the whole family. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, good luck with that, Jeff. And, uh, hey, that's the show for uh, the week. You made it another week, my friends. Remember, we can't do the show without you. We, we love having you with us. Again, you can tweet us. You can uh, look us up at, uh, at uh, matttownsend.com, byuradio.org. Come find us. Come check us out. We'll be back again Monday. And uh, stick with Screen Cleaning up next. Until Monday, make it a great one. In a world where people have a habit of mimicking what they see on television and in movies, one man goes too far. In a country where people are losing faith in government, one man, who also happens to be one of the world's biggest movie stars, comes to the rescue. And on a radio program dedicated to helping consumers find quality entertainment, one man fights to explain how movies are rated. Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show with Jeff Simpson. Rated PG for pretty good. Wow! That's exciting. It sounds like a kind of an intense show. I don't know if I can handle that. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. Uh, as we talked about last week, this is a brand new show. It's a show within a show. It's going to air every Friday, 9 a.m. on the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, we're super excited about it because we're going to be talking to you about everything entertainment and really shining a light on all that is good in entertainment. Having a hard time finding quality entertainment for your family? Well, you should listen to this show. Uh, you like Matt Townsend's show, but you you think it could be infused with a little humor? Then you're going to love this show. And uh, that's what screen, cre- uh, sc- screen cleaning is all about, excuse me. And we have a fantastic show ahead of us today. But before we get to what's going to be on the show, let's kick off things by giving you a recap of the latest and very best in entertainment news. The best parody news of the week. You know, anytime Saturday Night Live writes a clean and genuinely funny sketch, we like to mention it. And uh, the one that I really want to mention here is a spoof of the early 90s children's game show, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? 
Cause she used to be on TV on like every single panel. The one day she we all woke up and she was no longer there. What could have happened? She is not on any channel. Tell me where in the world is Kelly and Conway? That's sad in a way. Do you, but I oh, what a great uh, shot of nostalgia there. Do you remember that show, Cole? Of course. So now, now we're in my wheelhouse. I was a '90s kid. I grew up with this show. Acapella was born right there, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and they use that same acapella group to announce each of the categories, like the warrant, the clue. Just a great show. Anyway, the best trailer parody news. Uh, the new Star Wars trailer has been viewed around 34 million times, which means it was only a matter of time before a rabid fan would come out with an 8-bit trailer for The Last Jedi. Just listen to this music. Kind of makes you want to go and play Nintendo, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm going to have to dig out that Super <laughs> NES, see what the, I have hidden up there. The sad part about this, I mean, this guy does such a good job of, you know, copying the Star Wars Last Jedi trailer and making it seem like it's a video game. Mm-hmm. The sad thing is, we're never going to get to play this game on Nintendo or in 8-bit format. Nope. But uh, very entertaining, and good job. This is a great trailer. Go check it out. The best mix-up news. I love this story. Cole, do you know who Aaron Taylor Johnson is? Um, yes. Yeah, he's an actor. Uh, he was one of the Quicksilvers. So he was Quicksilver in the MCU as That's opposed right. to the Quicksilver in the X-Men ones, yes. which was Evan Peters. And he was also a superhero in another series that we can't mention the name for. Um, also true. But uh, he's he's been in a lot of movies lately. He almost was nominated for an Oscar last year. Well, he was recently on Stephen Colbert, and uh, he told the story of how director Oliver Stone mistook him for another actor to his benefit. He was trying to explain to the other cast, like, you know, how he cast me. So I saw this fantastic performance of you. You, It was this thing. You were playing cards. You were playing cards, and it was just really brilliant, and you, you did this thing, and you laid it down. And I was trying to think, well, what is that? And right at that time, 21 was really big, right? I walked out kind of going, okay, great. And I was really embarrassed because he was kind of bragging in front of a bunch of people. And I was like, yeah, no, thanks for that. And I walked away going, he thought I was Jim Sturgis. Jim Sturgis did a fantastic performance, and that's the reason I got the job for Saturday. (laughs) That is awesome. Awesome. Oh, if only that would happen to me. Get mistaken for someone famous and rich? Yes. Yeah. And then I get get more money. Mm -hmm. So a best example of how not to fire someone, as you know, President Trump fired FBI Director James Comey. You're fired. Yeah. And he probably uh, could have chosen a more tactful way of doing it. Let's just be honest, because Comey discovered he uh, the fact that he was out of a job by watching the news, not the way that you want to find out that you don't have a job anymore. Uh, And I have an interesting story about something like that that happened to me in my life just here in a minute because, uh, well, first of all, let me tell you the best candidacy news. Actor Chris Pratt, when he heard that James Comey was uh, out of a job, was quick to offer up his services uh, or at least the services of a fictional character he portrayed for in order to be considered for the FBI position. And uh, on Parks and Recreation, he kind of had this alternate character that he would slip into called Burt Macklin with the FBI. And so he took to Twitter and, you know, posted a video of him as Burt Macklin. So that could be exciting. Chris Pratt as uh, the FBI director. And now we're reading 
in uh, in other Hollywood news that The Rock wants to maybe think about running for president. Who else? Who is a bigger name right now? <laughs> I know. In, in the world, in everything, in all of your news. Yeah. We teased that earlier on the show that uh, one of the biggest movie stars in the world is going to save the world. By uh, from maybe... more than just the San Andreas fault, but yes, from democracy, exactly. from everything, and to save the beaches from explosions and bad guys. <laughs> I don't know of, of, of a lot of bad guys that show up at the beach, but uh, I think everybody's too chill there is the problem. Uh, so I mentioned I was going to uh, tell a story about that. I I haven't been fired from a job through social media, but I have been broken up with uh, via email. And it was kind of sad. It was unexpected. And I thought it was a little lazy and insensitive. But you know what? It ended up being a blessing in disguise. Because I was dumped through an email, I didn't go back to that school. I instead transferred to Brigham Young University, where I met my now wife. And we are married with two beautiful daughters and a son So it was a blessing in disguise, as I said. And who knows? Maybe for director James Comey, this will be a blessing in disguise, and he'll get a job that's even bigger and better. Actually, I don't know how much bigger you can get than the FBI director, but maybe better. So we wish you well, Director Comey. And President Trump, uh, maybe take another look at uh, your hiring and firing practices. Anyway... That's the most of us of us on a soap, soapbox that you'll ever hear on screen cleaning. We'll take a quick break. When we return, we are going to be uh, we're going to be digging a little deeper into a couple of other news stories in a new segment. We'll give you the title when we come back. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning here on the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson, the host, and I'm here with our wonderful board op and uh, movie encyclopedia, Cole Wissinger. Welcome back to the show, Cole. Always sounds so official when you say it like that, Jeff. <laughs> you know, we have a good time on the show. We we often will share funny or bizarre stories that on the surface seem just like that. They seem just like they're funny and bizarre. But if you really look carefully, there are lessons to be gleaned from others' mistakes. So we're going to dig a little deeper into a couple of stories in a new segment titled Dig a Little Deeper. When you sense a lessons buried neat stories that you read, dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. We've got a story here about, uh, this is an example of life imitating art. A Florida sheriff's deputy is out of a job after officials say he waved his firearm and stun gun while quoting lines from Denzel Washington's character in Training Day, a movie about a corrupt law enforcement officer. Authorities say Zipes rubbed his pistol and taser together in the direction of a convenience store in front of a police trainee. Zipes told investigators he was just trying to be funny. 
The report says Zipes twice pulled his firearm in an office setting, made a motion to draw his gun at a pizza delivery boy, and became upset after not receiving a free drink at a restaurant. See, now this is an example of, like we said, life imitating art in a negative way. And, I mean, obviously he lost his job, which is not a good thing, but probably the appropriate thing. And he kind of brought some embarrassment to the department, too. And all because he wanted to be cool and, you know, imitate this movie, which did not have a positive portrayal of a police officer. And, you know, unfortunately, there are so many more examples of life imitating art uh, in a negative way. And, you know, we don't want to get too deep into it, even though we are in uh, in this segment called Dig a Little Deeper, you know, with people killing others in movie theaters. And and it's it's so tragic when that happens. And luckily, nobody in this situation was hurt. And we just really encourage everybody to think about your actions uh, before you perform them. And really try not to mimic things that you see in movies, unless there are things in movies that are positive, that are encouraging you to do things that will have an impact on your life and the lives of others in a positive way. Um, just think of examples in movies that you've seen. Why look at look and seek out. Uh, Look for and, and seek out good, uplifting movies. Cole, I'm just curious to know, have there been any movies that you've seen that have encouraged you to improve your life or have that had a positive impact on your life? Absolutely. Um, and that's one of the great powers that movies can bring is to tell a story about something else that you can apply to your own life. When I was um, just getting ready to leave high school and go out and be on my own, I watched a dumb Adam Sandler movie called Click, <laughs> which on the surface just is full of his normal Adam Sandler-isms. But at the, and it's about this guy who gets a universal remote and like, can fast forward through the boring parts of his life to get to where Great he's successful. Great idea for a movie, by the way. Fantastic concept. Goes to Bed Bath & Beyond, um, and Christopher Walken is waiting in the Beyond section to give him this remote. Anyway, uh, so at the very, very end of the movie, though, um, it's been just this dumb comedy all throughout, and he realizes that he's just fast-forwarded through all the important moments of his life, and he's, like, running through the rain trying to get back to his family because he misses them. And as I was getting ready to leave my home, you know, and I just realized I needed to spend more time with my family and – and take not take for granted that they've always been there and, and not even not even gloss over even the simplest moments that seem like they're mundane uh, to take advantage of every moment. Well, good for you. So you you have an example of a movie that had a positive impact on your life. And maybe, you know, you found a lesson there in a movie that uh, you probably didn't expect to you get didn't one expect out of. It, right. Yeah. So that's what we're going to do here on screen cleaning is <clears throat> we're going to encourage you to seek out and and. Uh, imitate movies that that have a positive message. Now, for an example of art imitating life, there's a new film out that's ripped straight from the headlines. For the fifth time, a, a Maryland house has been the victim of an out-of-control car. When we crashed into the wall, I said, another car hit my house, says homeowner Leonard Miller, 88. Miller has lived in the Prince George's County home since 1971, and he says early Wednesday morning is at least the fifth time a car has come over a hill approaching his house and lost control as it turned a corner, causing it to jump the curb and ram into a wall. The crashes typically happen when it's dark out, and Miller says drivers fly down the street near his house, where the posted speed limit is 30 miles per hour. We're going to play you the trailer for the movie called The House That Cars Couldn't Seem to Stop Crashing Into. 
In the small town of Hillcrest Heights, there is a hill, and just over the hill is a house. And when it's dark out, something strange happens. No, 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 it's happening again! Some say there's a madman slashing people's tires. Some believe there are supernatural forces at work. Others think it's just bad driving. But whatever the cause, one thing's for sure. Cars can't seem to stop crashing into this house. The horror. Horror. The house that cars couldn't seem to stop crashing into. BYU Radio. Welcome to a 90-second movie review for the film Battle of the Sexes on BYU Radio. In 1973, the Battle of the Sexes, as it was promoted, pitted Billie Jean King, the number one woman tennis player in the world, against former number one men's tennis player Bobby Riggs. At the time, King was 29 years old and Riggs was 55, and a serial self-promoter. Riggs could not stand to be forgotten, so when he got the chance, he was all in and did all he could to put himself in the spotlight. The trailer for the film depicts much more of a story surrounding the actual match that was played. The film, on the other hand expands more into the years before the actual match and what led up to it including the lives of both Riggs and King Riggs was dealing with a wife who did not appreciate his gambling debts King was also having personal problems she was trying to promote equality in women's sports plus she was questioning her sexual orientation at the time the acting in the film is good and Steve Carell playing Bobby Riggs was a great choice as he played a male chauvinist very well Emma Stone was also wonderful as Billie Jean King the actual battle that takes place on the tennis court was historic in many ways and that is not lost in this film. Parents will want to be aware that there is lesbian sexuality in this film. Women are seen disrobing and some lingerie is shown. Only shoulders and bare backs are visible. Due to the setting in the 70s and the sponsor of the women's tennis tour, there are scenes which include smoking and drinking. The portrayal of sexist thinking is also prevalent during the film. Battle of the Sexes is rated PG-13, and I am giving it a B grade. Thanks for listening. I'm Sean O'Neill, and this has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. Well, you know what that sound means. We're going to be talking to Rod Gustafson of ParentPreviews.com. Parent Previews is uh, it's all about helping parents make wiser, more informed decisions when it comes to uh, helping their children find quality entertainment. And Rod Gustafson, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. So you said, I thought I heard you say during the break that uh, the house that the cars crashed into was your grandmother's house. <laughs> you know, she lived in the middle of a quiet little residential street in a quiet little prairie city here in Canada. Two times, some guy makes a left turn in the middle of the street, both of them having, you know, maybe imbibed a little bit too much, <laughs> runs right into her house. We couldn't believe it when it happened once. When it happened twice, we thought, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> wow. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's really art imitating life there, that it trailer. <laughs> so, welcome back. I, I've got kind of an impossible task for you here. We've got about, you know, 10 or 12 minutes for you to educate us on the MPAA. And uh, I, I've, I've got questions that we'll get to. But can you, first of all, just tell us a little bit about what the MPAA is and, and what their purpose fills? 
Well, the MPAA is the Motion Picture Association of America, and their their main purpose is to promote and protect the intellectual property rights of motion picture creators. The MPAA is an industry-financed organization financed by, I believe, it's seven major studios like Fox and Paramount and Disney, etc. Um, but that is their major a reason for being is to basically to promote um, to promote American-made uh, motion pictures. However, most of us, when we hear MPAA, we think of movie ratings. Well, right. there's, a there's a division of the MPAA called the Classification and Ratings Administration, known as CARA. And that is really, that's the acronym we should really use if we're talking about movie ratings. But everybody refers to them as the MPAA ratings. So what's the difference between ratings in the United States and Canada where you are? Well, the difference between ratings in the United States and Canada or virtually any other country in the world is the United States um, rating uh, system that is operated by CARA under the MPAA is totally voluntary. There is no uh, enforced government legislation in place to to enact a, a a set penalty if somebody ignores the ratings. So, in other words, if a young person were to enter into, let's say, an R-rated movie in the United States, which, if you're under 17, requires an adult to accompany you. So, if you're a 13-year-old and you get into a movie and somebody reports this, well, it's really up to the industry to self-police, um, you know, and that usually means a little bit of a slap on the wrist and that type of thing. Now, where I live, uh, the ratings are actually, there is provincial government registration, which means the province is like a state. Each of the provinces have their own classification and rating board. And, um, and if somebody were to enter a movie who is under age, then supposedly, it, not supposedly, there is legislation in place that could enact a fine, um, a preset penalty for that happening. It, frankly, it rarely does, but it is there to kind of keep this heavier hand on this whole aspect of whether uh, younger age people are actually entering in to see movies that they shouldn't be seeing. Yeah. So, you know, we know that there's G, PG, PG-13, R, uh, and then NC-17, I believe, right? Yes, that is correct. In in the United States, anyway. Um, so what would happen, let's just say Guardians of the Galaxy 2 just came out. Let, let's just say that... Uh, Marvel Studios wants to put out a movie, but they don't want to put a rating on it. And so it's not rated. It's not unrated, but it's not rated. What uh, What are the consequences of that? Well, that is definitely possible, and it has happened on rare occasions. But the problem that they face, if a, if you were to make a movie, Jeff, and you wanted to do that with your movie, uh, you have every right to do so. It's a free country. But the problem is, is we have the distribution section of the motion picture industry. These are the guys that, that actually, um, and the exhibitors as well. So the exhibitors are the theaters. They're the theater owners, the distributors, which are often um, owned by the studio themselves, but there are some independent distributors too, but they often will not, almost 99.99% .99 of the time will not release or distribute or exhibit an unrated movie. There is just this, I guess we could call it, I know this is an antiquated term, a gentleman's agreement that if a movie doesn't have a rating, they aren't interested in, in exhibiting it, they aren't interested in releasing it. So the industry itself 
um, really rejects the idea of having a, a, a film without a rating. Uh, you could certainly take your film and pack it in the back of your trunk and go drive around the country and <laughs> find those little independent art house cinemas that are, you know, usually in most in most major cities. Uh, and they, if they like their film, they may agree to take it on. Uh, but it's a long, long, hard road to, to make your money back on the movie yeah. doing it that way. So obviously these studios want a specific rating and usually it seems like a lot of times they want a PG-13 rating because that means more people can see the film. What kind of compromises do they have to make in order to get the rating that they want? Well, let me just explain so people understand. A PG-13 rating, unlike an R rating, has no age restrictions. So really a G, a PG, and a PG-13 Anybody of any age can go see all three of those ratings. All the PG and PG-13 ratings do is they just add advisories as to who they feel the movie is age-appropriate for, unlike the R rating, which actually does restrict audiences. Now, back to your question. A PG-13 movie, there are many... First of all, Jeff, the movie ratings are a constant moving target, okay? They change over the years depending on who is in charge of the MPAA and just kind of the the political pressures of the day. So with the PG-13 rating, we have noticed many things that have happened this, with this rating since it was brought into play in the late 1980s. It's, it's one of the more recent ratings. And um, a PG-13 rating typically uh, can contain fairly high levels of violence. Um, it can contain a lot of sexual discussion, talk and description, but very little sexual activity. Technically, a PG-13 rating, if you look at the MPAA guidelines, can contain nudity in a non-sexual context. So you could have somebody being shown in a shower, for instance, and that could fit into a PG-13 rating. We see that very rarely, and if you want to know why, I can tell you, but that is in there. A PG-13 rating can contain all sorts of profanity, except it is usually restricted to one use of the sexual expletive. And we know the word we're talking about, that four-letter word that, that in most people's minds is kind of the top end of the profanity level. All other it's, words, it's though, fudge, can right? Get in there. Fudge. Yes, that's like exactly a, Like they say in a Christmas story. <laughs> So so those are some of the main tenets of a PG-13 rating. The other thing, and this has just changed recently with a movie that we saw not long ago going in style, a PG-13 rating could never contain drug use being depicted on the screen. And we saw a big change with going in style. There was a marijuana scene of these three old guys smoking pot. And I was blown away. I thought, okay, this is new. That used to have to be in an R-rated movie. So that gives you an example of how things change. So let's say a studio will uh, submit the application and uh, they get the response that your movie is rated R. And that's not the rating Mm -hmm. they wanted. Is there some kind of an appeals process that they can go through? Yeah, what you do is you phone Harvey Weinstein and he'll hook you up with his lawyer for you. (laughs) Because that's exactly what is happening right now with a movie that's called Three Generations. So the serious answer is yes, the MPAA has an appeals process. And usually what you do is you talk to the MPAA and you file an official uh, appeal 
for your rating, and then they will tell you specifically, even in great detail, why the film was rated R, for example. And then typically what you do is you go back and you edit your movie. And there have literally been uh, instances where directors will cut frame by frame from a, let's say, a steamy sexual scene in order to trim it down to the point where they'll give them a PG-13. Or maybe they have to do away with a sexual expletive in order to get the PG-13. Or maybe the violence is just a little bit too explicit to to get a PG-13. So those are the types of things that will happen. And there's a, a back and forth that usually goes on that you will hear if you read in the trade magazines of Hollywood, like the Hollywood Reporter and Variety, often you will have stories about directors whining and complaining because their movie didn't get a PG-13 and they've had to go through, you know, modifying their artistic vision in order to make this happen. So, Rod, we just have a couple of minutes left in this segment. I'm curious to know... If you think that the current rating system uh, accurately, you know, gives us a good picture of of what we should and should not be showing to our families, or are there changes that need to be made? You know, the MPAA, the one thing I can say for, for, for Kara's ratings uh, is that they are reasonably consistent. And now I did just say a couple of minutes ago that they change with the times, but overall, I feel that there is some consistency to them. However, my biggest concerns with the rating system, first of all, is violence. There is a a little trade and play that you see happening. When when I first noticed this, it was a few years ago with The Dark Knight, the Batman movie that came out with Heath Ledger. Incredibly violent movie for a PG-13 rating. But there was very little sexual content and very little profanity in that movie. And I, I have noticed, likewise, with other movies since then, especially with violence, that if you want to shove a bit, a lot of violence into a PG-13 movie, dial back on the sex and profanity. I don't think they should be doing that. I think there, there needs to be a level for violence, and they need to stick to that level, regardless of how much sexual content profanity there is in a movie. So that is one issue. And then the other issue that we're seeing, and again, bringing up the Harvey Weinstein thing, Harvey Weinstein has gone to the MPAA to appeal um, a variety of movies. He does this repeatedly, and it's usually because there is more than one or two uses of the sexual expletive. And so he has been a constant force on the MPAA to loosen up the rules on including that word in PG-13 movies. Well, you know who's running the movie rating system, Harvey Weinstein or parents, because that is who the movie rating system is supposed to be serving as parents, not movie producers. That's interesting. And, you know, you brought up the example of The Dark Knight. And we talked earlier in the show about life imitating art. And, you know, that's one of the tragedies that occurred, you know, during a screening of The Dark Knight Rises was this guy coming in and, you know, fully armed and armored and saying that he was the Joker. And it's so unfortunate that that happens. And, you know, like you said, there are these movies that are incredibly violent that are squeaking in there or, you know, slipping by the the ratings board on a PG-13 rating. Yes, there are. And again, that seems to be a pattern that I see increasing. And uh, and I think they need to be really careful with the levels of violence, because as I mentioned earlier, a PG-13 movie, if you're eight years old and you've got the money to get in, you get in. 
Well, Rod, thank you for educating us more on the MPAA and the rating system. Let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, we want to continue this discussion of, of ratings, and we're going to do that by giving you alternative movies that you could watch. If you don't feel like watching an R-rated movie, well, we've got some movies with similar themes that maybe you might want to check out. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. I'm speaking with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews. And uh, we just finished talking about the MPAA and more specifically CARA, which is the ratings board that uh, decides what a film is going to be rated. And we're going to kind of continue uh, that discussion by by giving you a list of films that you can check out that don't have that R rating, but maybe still have some of the same themes and ideas that those movies have so that you don't have to watch content that you're not comfortable with. So, Rod, thanks for uh, coming prepared for this. And I'm... We, you've got a few, and I've got a few. So why don't we start with you? What's what's a, an alternative to an R-rated movie that we could watch? <laughs> okay. Well, I need to tell you first of all, Jeff. That if, so I expanded out a little. The first one is an R-rated movie. We're going to b- briefly talk about it. But my other two are PG-13s that I still don't think you could watch, should watch. So just to give you a heads up. <laughs> okay. So. The first one, Hacksaw Ridge. You know, um, this movie, obviously, the Mel Gibson film that was nominated for Oscars. And uh, an incredible story, true story, about Desmond Doss, uh, played by Andrew Garfield, who uh, was in the World War II battle at Hacksaw Ridge as a conscientious objector, but still wanted to participate in um, serving his country as a medic. What an amazing story. What an amazingly violent film. Really, um, I think Mel just, he, he has a thing for violence and he didn't need that much. I would love to have seen this film rated PG-13. So, an alternative. Angelina Jolie, a few years back, made a movie called Unbroken, which is another true story about Louis Zamperini. Zamperini, I always pronounce his name incorrectly, (laughs) but a wonderful, another true story about a guy with just incredible tenacity that that managed to survive um, just all sorts of horrendous things that happened to him during World War II. And uh, it has, has, it's rated PG-13, and there is still war violence, and there's this this is not a movie for children, but it does dial down on the violence enough that you could share this wonderful story with your teens. You know, that's so funny because that was on my initial list, and then I I chose something else. But the one that I want oh, I'm to— I'm glad you did. Yeah, <laughs> one that I want to mention is really big on Redbox right now. You always see it plastered on the, the marquee is a movie called Why Him, which I have not seen it, but the title says it all. This girl uh, takes her parents over to her fiancé's house to introduce them to him, and he's this very wealthy— a uh, young man played by James Franco, who is just kind of a buffoon, and her parents, or at least the father, is completely clueless as to why his his sweet daughter would want to marry this idiot. And mm-hmm. uh, so I haven't seen it. It is rated R, though. Um, another movie that you could check out if you don't want to see the content in uh, Why Him is Meet the Parents, 
which of course spawned a couple of sequels. It is PG-13. It's uh, Ben Stiller goes to meet his fiance's family. And the reluctant father in this movie is, of course, Robert De Niro, (laughs) who just cannot get behind Ben Stiller, can't get behind the idea of him marrying his sweet daughter. Very funny film. I think there are a couple of uh, sexual references that that might be a little inappropriate for younger viewers, but overall, very funny film and a great alternative to Why Him. Absolutely. Pretty pretty good choice. Um, the, The next one on my list and again, I'm sorry, I went to the PG-13 on this one um, because I, I just I don't see a whole lot of R-rated movies because the parent previous. So this is where my familiarity lies. We had a movie last year called Me Before You, which really presented a very upsetting message to us. I wish this movie would have been rated R. Frankly, I wish they'd never made it. This is a story about a man. He's very wealthy and he's in a car accident and becomes paralyzed. And he decides that he wants to take his life through doctor-assisted suicide. And this is a, a movie that the whole purpose is to promote doctor-assisted suicide and empathy for this person. And it's a very, very one-sided story that I think presents a very dangerous message. Uh, in fact, a lot of uh, disability groups were upset about this movie when it came out. So if you have heard about me before you and are interested in the idea of a person having a different perspective on their life despite their disabilities, there are some great choices out there like A Beautiful Mind, for instance, um, it is a wonderful film uh, that was nominated. I think I'm getting my years mixed up. I can't remember how many years ago this was now, but this is the story uh, about a, the man, the mathematician John Forbes Nash, who was nominated for a Nobel Prize. And he was dealing with many um, mental uh, challenges and that type of thing. The Mighty for young children. I've always loved the movie The Mighty, and this presents a, a young boy who is dealing with a disability and all the wonderful things that he's able to do. And I'm no Stephen Hawking fan because I disagree with many of his philosophies, but boy, I got to give the guy credit. Here is a man that, you know, I, I watch a movie with this rich guy whining because he's paralyzed from a car accident. You look at a guy like Stephen Hawking and what the guy still is able to achieve uh, despite the physical difficulties that he has. And so we had the movie recently, The Theory of Ed- Everything, with Eddie Redmayne playing Hawking. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of honorable mentions before I give you my last one. Um, okay. If you don't want to see The Girl on the Train, why not check mm-hmm. out Strangers on a Train or Rear Window? Yes, uh, Rear Window, definitely. <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, if you don't want to check out Don't Breathe, which is about a group of teenagers breaking into a blind man's home and getting a little more than they, they bit off a little more than they could chew, watch Wait Until Dark. The Audrey Mm -hmm. Hepburn film that got her an Oscar nomination where she plays a blind woman and uh, has these uh, strangers coming into her home pretending to be friends of her husband. And they're really after a doll that has uh, something in it that they want. So those are my honorable mentions. Now, this film I haven't seen. It's The Edge of Seventeen, and uh, it's it's a coming-of-age high school movie with Haley Steinfeld, and uh, it is it is R-rated, 
And it just kind of chronicles the awkwardness of growing up in high school and dealing with boys and, you know, growing, you know, change, changes in your body. So if you don't want to, the content of the R-rated film The Edge of Seventeen, check out the PG-rated Napoleon Dynamite. And in fact, I think uh, Edge of Seventeen even references Napoleon Dynamite at one point. She holds up a picture of herself and she looks exactly like Pedro Sanchez from <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. I just know that from the trailers, but uh, that's my other pick. Very good. Now, I must admit, I say guiltily, I I enjoyed The Edge of 17, but there's a film that I really wish that they could have done in a PG-13 version, but alas, they didn't. So my, I'm going back to a recent release here that kind of had me a little bit um, frustrated with, was the movie called Split. Now, again, this is a PG-13 movie, but it's the story about a, a man who uh, who abducts three teenage girls. And, uh, and I found the whole thing just quite uncomfortable watching these three teen girls go through this. And it was a lot like, of course, the real world story of what happened in Cleveland with those three girls that were discovered in that home a couple of years ago. And so I found Split to be, I mean, you know, there's kind of creepy in a good way and then there's creepy in a bad way. And it crossed the line for me. 10 Cloverfield Lane, I thought was just a marvelously made movie. And if you're looking for a thriller that, and for some reason, this one didn't bother me in the same way that Split did. So there's a, there's an alternative that I think is a better alternative. And again, they're both rated PG-13, but I just felt like one crossed the line where the other one didn't. I agree with you on 10 Cloverfield Lane. That was one of my favorite movies from last year. And uh, Cole is a little, Cole is running the board. He's a little offended that you didn't like Split that much. No. That, I'm sorry, that looked Cole. very near and dear to his heart. <laughs> anyway, Rod Gustafson, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for giving us those alternatives and educating us a little bit more about the ratings process. We'll uh, we'll have you back on the show here real soon. I think we're going to have you back to review a movie here in a week or two. But uh, thanks for your time, and, and thanks for all that you do at Parent Previews. You can look them up at uh, parentpreviews.com. They also have a podcast, the Parent Previews Podcast. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue the fun. We'll continue the fun and head on over and uh, talk to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to Twisted Tales, stories of the macabre inspired by actual events. Today's Twisted Tale is entitled Eight-Legged Fear. Mary Abbotton let out a terrified scream. When she noticed a tarantula the size of her hand crawling up her foot. In a panic, she called an RSPCA inspector, only to discover later the hairy arachnid was made of plastic. <sighs> Pacified, she breathed easy again, only to be scared out of her skin by a loud knock at the door. Alarmed at the mysterious late-night visitor, she reluctantly inched her way toward the front door, only to remember her call to the RSPCA. Regaining her composure, she opened the door, only to discover it was not an inspector from the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, but a representative from the other RSPCA, the Royal Society of Public Certified Accountants. Uh, your capital account is insolvent. Fearing for her life, she slammed the door shut, frantically turned the lock, and ran toward her bedroom, only to trip over a sharp object. Upon further inspection, 
she saw that it was just her son's Lego set. She sat there, relieved, only to remember she didn't have a son. Her ear-piercing screams led to tears of terror. She reached for her box of Kleenex, only to discover the box was empty. She rushed to the lavatory, hoping some toilet paper could act as a suitable substitute, only to discover the TP was one ply. Reeling in horror, she threw herself into the bathtub, only to discover a tarantula, the size of her hand crawling up her foot. Join us next time for another terrifying edition of Twisted Tales. <laughs> Excuse me.